the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad to have you all up with us on this early morning. Yeah, it's still warm out there. Oh, you think? Yeah, but you know, the one thing is it's not like stifling hot right when you walk out the front door. Not at 5.30 in the morning. Right. And then yesterday, like about 8, really, it wasn't so bad in the morning. And the other thing is, too, it's been really warm, but the humidity hasn't been treacherous. You know, right before I went to bed last night, it was 85 degrees. Yeah. But it fe- they said it felt like 84. I'm like, Right, I saw that all day yesterday. 92 feels like 91. What? I know, I didn't understand that either. Because the humidity won 100% out there that we usually have around here. Right, so that, if we're going to have to have the weather, then I'm going with, thank goodness there's not a lot of humidity. And maybe, maybe, fingers crossed, maybe maybe a little rain tomorrow. Gosh, that would be so awesome. I am so stuck on wanting rain that when Kenneth came upstairs and um, he was talking about making his coffee and all, and uh, he said, it's pouring now. And my mind went immediately to, it's pouring outside? She said, rain? I went, no, I'm pouring my coffee. <laughs> I just want to hear that word. It's pouring outside. But of course, if it does rain, it's going to be... Let's go green up my lawn. Will it rain long enough? I think so. I mean, my lawn's going semi-dormant. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, because, you know, we were talking about that last week. Yeah. And, um, you know, usually I'm expecting that summer do- dormancy in July, the end of July or so. Yeah. So I was going to ask, actually, and you brought it up, that is your lawn already doing the summer dormancy thing? It is. Yeah, I mean, I went out there Thursday night, afternoon, when I got off work, and cut my grass because I'm trying my best to practice what I preach, (laughs) you know, not cut off more than one third of the blade at one time, Mm -hmm. honestly, because I mean, I know if I waited until today, honestly, or Mm -hmm. or even, you know, tomorrow, then I really would be cutting off too much of my grass at one time. And a lot of times when that happens, you cut all the green off and you got a nice yellow brown looking lawn, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then you've got to wait a little while for it to get the chlorophyll going again well you know are you mowing the less amount like you do in the summer because normally we would probably be mowing a little more in june if we hadn't have gotten so hot yeah but i'm i've raised my lawnmower blade uh, twice Mm -hmm. okay twice (laughs) yeah Yeah. from my spring cutting height yeah Uh, so i want to keep it a little higher uh of course because there again i mean helps conserve a little water down there uh it helps suppress the weeds and by default, you know, if I, I ha- actually had to raise it the last time because I'd waited a little too long to get out there and cut it. Oh, I do remember. You know, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, in, it's it's not a green green. I mean, it's green, Veda, mm-hmm. but it's not, you know, it, it needs a little rain is what it needs. Yeah. You know, there there is nothing like a bunch of rain because the water's just more... More as one with the soil, I guess you could say, you know, because we're watering with our city water, although we're so lucky 
to have the aquifer. And we don't have a lot of issues. We don't have a lot of restrictions. Yeah, yeah. You go out west and you can't water your yard. Yeah. I mean, you get out there and rake the pebbles and maybe the sand around mm-hmm. and, you know, kick the cactus. But around <laughs> here, you know, we've got Bermuda and Zoysia lawns mm-hmm. and we need a little bit of rain. Jan Childers, uh, she texted in. She said 85 last night outside, 81 last night inside my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, air conditioners are blowing out sooner than they should. Then there's parts not available. Mm-hmm. You know, like in our at Palladio in the antique building and the interior building, it's uh, two big warehouses, but decorated up inside, of course. And they have like four or five units in each building mm. because it's so large. And two of them on both buildings have went out and the parts are not going to be available till September. Yeah, I had a guy come out. all the... Back yeah, up. oh, I know. It's crazy. Had a guy come out this week and put some Freon in one of my units. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd go upstairs, and like Jan just said, my upstairs in the in, in, it's the craziest thing. They got the thermostat in the playroom. I know. What you is know, this? one is the hottest you know the room mm-hmm. in the house, and it's eighty two degrees every afternoon. I get home in that playroom, <laughs> well, according to the thermostat. Yeah. So you shut the door, of course, to the playroom mm-hmm. to keep the heat in there. Well, the air condition runs nonstop, 24-7. I told my wife, I said, I can't wait to see our MLG and W build. Aren't you up. excited? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the ro- one thing I wrote down, you know, and I know we've talked about this for the last two weeks, is water, water, mm-hmm. water. And I've had more things come in this week, just like I have the last two weeks, that had been grossly underwatered. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, it was a uh, oak leaf hydrangea that came. Uh, a lady dug it up and brought it in yesterday, <laughs> and it was so dry it was dusty. <laughs> and she dug it up and brought it. Yeah. In. <laughs> and said, "What's what's the problem?" I said, "It the needs problem, water." The problem is it's not in the ground now. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> the biggest problem. But Veda, I mean, is it's a common, you know, it, who would have ever thought that water would be mm-hmm. such a complex topic, honestly? Yeah. I mean, who, no, right. I would. I never thought that growing up. I mean, something needed water, give mm-hmm. it water. But we, so many of us rely on irrigation uh, and it's not hitting everything. So then we go out there and we're trying to guess how much we need to water out of the hose. And some things aren't getting enough water. Some things are getting way too much water. And it's just, it, it is really complex. Mm-hmm. It's not as simple as it sounds, I'm telling yeah. you. And you tell well, someone to go out there and just water. Yeah, well, that's like us sitting up the, setting up the irrigation in the garden center. The way it overlaps in certain areas, you have to make sure you have plants there that uh, get the driest soonest. And then on the outer areas... Yeah. There's not enough water, so you need to make sure you put, put your the succulents plants. out there. Yeah, yeah, and so it's like a strategic placement. You can't get the irrigation set right um, to make it water everything you want because then it hits the door to the front building, you know, and then you go in and there's a puddle of water. So you have to, so it's the same way in your yard. You still need to go around and see, is the irrigation overlapping here? Is it too wet? Is the irrigation not hitting? Are there limbs or like the tree or the shrubs stuck into the head? Oh, yeah. A block in the head. Yeah, that's it. As your plants grow up larger, sometimes your irrigation needs to be changed around, but we don't. So the irrigation is coming up in the middle of the shrub, and it's not not hitting anything except for the shrub. Yeah, yeah. So those are some things to go around and check out in your yard. And and then kind of an ironic ha-ha kind of thing was had a lady come into the garden center yesterday. She was buying some shrubs, and I was explaining to her, you look, you know, this time of year when you're planting in this heat, which you can do, mm-hmm. 
you better plant it the right way. You know, dig the hole just as deep, twice as wide, amend the soil, get them planted at the right height, come back and lightly mulch these things in. And I said, now, the first two or three weeks, you need to really check this moisture because some of them that she were planting were hydrangeas, okay? And I said, these things are going to droop during the day. I don't care what you do, but at night they should perk back up. Yeah. But don't make the mistake just because you see it drooping is go out there and flood these things with water every day, okay? And that's where people, you know, they think it looks dry because mm-hmm. it's just suffering from the heat. It's the heat stress, maybe not so much the being dry. Yeah, and they're true. soaking these things and they're keeping them too wet. But the ironic thing was, Veda, she said, we're going to plant these things behind a French, a French drain they had put in early in the year. She said, you know what? I, I just probably need to take that French drain out. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> well, she hasn't needed it. Right. This is true. I <laughs> she got haven't, you. She hadn't had any excessive moisture yeah. out there. She was just kidding. But right. she's like, you know, we, ever since we it's put this French drain in, we hadn't needed it. <laughs> it always works that way. It really does. Yeah. And because it was raining so much early on <sighs> that we did need French drains. Yeah. That's when, that's when they realized that they did yeah. need one. We do. We do install a lot of or as a whole, not not me, but install a lot of uh, dry creek beds because the the reason we're up and down, up and down, we're going to be really wet where we need the creek bed, and, and then we're going to be really dry where we don't. And need that's the why creek I was bed. saying a while ago that it's it, water is is a pretty complex ordeal. It it truly is. And then the bird bass, you know, the birds are out there; oh, they're just yeah. dying of thirst. Make sure you keep <laughs> some water. In those bird baths, I put some in a bird bath the other night, and I think I had more birds in my yard than mm-hmm. the whole Shelby County did. <laughs> I mean, it was There's amazing. One bird bath. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, we have the the pond. We have two uh, raw boulders that you, I guess you call them pondless, where they don't look like they're sitting in water, mm. and so they're circulating the water. And then we have a couple of bird baths, and it's just bird heaven yeah. back there just you will be in the building looking out the window and watching them what's the word frolic in the water yeah. it's so entertaining yeah they need it right now but i'm just saying before we go to break guys it, it's we're still bone dry out there i know we've been talking about this but you got to make your rounds you got to check that moisture i've told people so many people this week i've even told people to go out there and dig a little hole you know in the bed and check the moisture see what yeah. it's like down there a lot of times we can't tell by looking down at the mulch, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, man, that's so true. There's a, a friend of mine has a hibiscus, and she's telling me. Now, this is a hardy or tropical? Uh, the tropical. Yeah. And so, obviously, I see it's not getting enough water. Uh, and she says, well, I look, I just watered like this. And so she poured some water in there, and I said, watch this. And I pulled the soil back, and it was just as dry as it could be. Yeah. Because there, she's only doing like a quart of water or so. Not enough. So, and and it's hard for her to water right now. And right by the back door, she has a hanging basket hanging mm-hmm. up. So I took the hibiscus and moved it under the hanging basket. Mm-hmm. So when she waters it. The excess moisture is going to drain right. at least down on the hibiscus. And then I put a saucer under there. Well, and it's funny that you said that because I had a couple in this week saying that when they water, they say, Kenny, I, I count to 30. I'm going... Mm-hmm. Well, you might be needing to count to 130, <laughs> oh, no. you know? I mean, because really you just, I mean, is 30 good enough with the water hose? Mm-hmm. It depends on the slope, depends on the type of soil that you have, really depends on the plant that you're watering. 
Yeah. I said, you still have to just kind of dig down and check that moisture. See what it's like down there. So true. Well, we're going to head out to a break for a minute. And why don't y'all get up, get your coffee, mm-hmm. your tea, get your list of questions. You have so many ways to ask a question that you don't have to go on air, but you want to. We'd love that. You can call in and Josh will answer the phone and he can put the uh, type the message on the screen. We've yeah. got yeah, 260-5926, 260-5926. And of course, you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page. There's Miss Veda right there. I'm sitting there looking at you right yeah. now, Miss Veda. And shoot us a text <laughs> right there also. All right, we will return. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Oh, my word. So funny. So, like, I'm looking at Facebook, just cruising through to see who's up and and what's going on. And uh, I I was thinking about this last couple of days. I put a bunch of ice in a plastic bag and put it in the refrigerator at work. It's a small refrigerator. So why don't you put the ice in, just to have the ice. Yeah, just to have the ice. But the um, freezer part was frosted over so I couldn't open the door to get it in there because it's a small (laughs) one so I just sat it in there well I just pulled up Facebook and on the feed one of the girls that works with me goes I found this bag of water in the fridge at work (laughs) (laughs) and then I'm reading all the uh, it's a prime suspect to a goldfish heist yeah yeah (laughs) it's probably 81 degrees in the refrigerator it's funny what you find out about work on your Facebook page. But so, the ice didn't make it, clearly. I'm looking. It almost looks like something's in there, but clearly it didn't make yeah, it. Yeah, so at least it's co- good cold water. You can drink it out of the bag if you have to. I can't wait to find out more about this. Yeah. So um, That's funny. At least it wasn't a bag of waiters. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, that was fun. I got you, Leslie. I told her to get up and listen. So anyway, if y'all are out there listening, give us a call, 260-5926, or you can watch us on Facebook Live. Yeah, the Mighty 990 Facebook page. But also, and I have to bring this up, I know we're beating a dead horse. I get it, Veda. But the last two weeks, you know, we've been talking about Japanese beetles and tent caterpillars. But I just want people still to be aware they're not going anywhere. They're out there. They're eating the landscapes up, I'm telling you. The Japanese beetles, you know, and I read, I told you I read a report uh, about a week ago. Um, I was just reading about Japanese beetles in general and, uh, you know, how they are such a problem here in the Mid-South now. And this just is another one of those problems that we didn't used to have. We just didn't, mm-hmm. you know. We'd see one no. or two Japanese beetles, yeah, and that we was it. never talked about. I remember, Kenneth, when we would talk about the beneficial nematodes yeah. and what to put down mm-hmm. to get rid of the grubs. And then we were like, there's one called a, a milky spore, yep. but we don't have to use it here because nope. we don't have Japanese beetles. Nope, that's right. God dang now it, but we do we now. So, it, yeah. you know, they're out there, guys. They're eating, and they'll eat anything. They'll eat vegetables they'll eat herbs they'll eat crepe myrtle blooms they love roses i mean had a guy in uh, in the garden center the other day they were eating his zinnias up they weren't eating the blooms they're eating the yeah they're eating the foliage just eating them up i'm telling you huh so you know if you have japanese beetles which you probably do you might not Mm -hmm. just know it yet (laughs) and they're becoming uh so and they're and they're becoming problematic okay um Get out there and either spray to kill the beetles, but like I tell people all the time, when you're spraying, you're really spraying to keep the population down to acceptable levels. Because you can't mm-hmm. get rid of them. You can't. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kill every yeah. Japanese beetle you have, and 10,000 right. more fly in yeah, the next day. Yeah. 
and then get a trap and put the trap in the corner of your yard because a trap will bring it will lure them to the trap okay Mm -hmm. and the theory is some people say well i don't want to put a trap out there because i'm bringing more here that i normally wouldn't have well you got them anyway you know under the traps do you think we should um concentrate more on putting down a grub killer both. I mean, I think yeah. everything that we can possibly do to reduce mm-hmm. the number of Japanese beetles, that is surely uh, enough. Of course, the ideal thing is to, if, if 20 yards around you did the same thing you did, mm-hmm. you know, uh, putting down the granulated yeah. grub killers. I mean, that way that would reduce the population in right there in your area. But if you're the only one doing it, I mean, the good thing is you're actually protecting your lawn because grubs also eat the roots off of your lawn. It's not just the beetle that comes up later on that's a problem, okay? The grub itself is the problem. So, yeah, putting down the the grub killers, uh, going out there spraying, and anything that has Japanese beetle on the label, which most of your broad-spectrum insecticides do, Veda, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, get out there and do some spraying. And, of course, when I tell people, when you spray, I don't care what you're spraying this time of year. You spray early morning or you spray late in the afternoon, and you make sure everything is hydrated before you spray. Don't spray anything that's dehydrated because you can burn it. And then uh, put a trap uh, in the corner of the yard. And that's really all you can do, unless you go out there every morning and just hand pluck. Yeah. Right. Or not plant food that Japanese beetles like, which well, would be we couldn't plant roses or crepe myrtles or... Or almost anything well, else, like you I know, said. if a Japanese beetle... Well, I don't know. I was going to say, if a Japanese beetle bothers my crepe myrtle, I'm fine with it. But you said they were eating the blooms, and that's... They're eating the blooms. That to eat them, eat them up. Yeah. So, but I'm just... I'm bringing this up because they're still out there. We probably have another good, what, two weeks of Japanese beetle activity, mm-hmm. at least... And then the bagworms, they're still active. That's the little worm, the little caterpillar that gets on the arbovitas and the evergreens, and they're just eating them up. <laughs> Had a customer bring a pitcher in uh, this week. Typically, they start at the top and kind of work their way down, right. okay? Well, they started at the top, but they were eating basically just one side of the arbovita. Huh. It was like you got a paintbrush and painted one side green, the other side brown. Now, why would that be? I don't know. But, it, I mean, it wasn't all the way down yet. It was mm-hmm. like halfway down, but it was on more on one side. And I'm like, I don't know. Huh. I guess these uh, this guys on the right-hand side are more hungry than the ones on the left-hand side. Is it like was one side against the wall? No. You know? It was just. Was it uneven watering? Um, they were probably, well, you why? know, they probably scooted around to the shady side. Where, well, there's that, You know, too. just where they could really enjoy <laughs> themselves <laughs> gorging on your arbovitus. They're saying the same thing. Wow, why is it so hot so early? <laughs> Let's do this in the shade. But, but, but you mentioned something a while ago, Veda, about the grubs. You know, Japanese beetles do come from grubs. Grubs and grubs seriously can cause problems in your lawn, and a lot of times, you know, you'll you'll have spots in your lawn just start to turn brown. And you know, is that lack of water? Is that a fungus? Is it grubs? Whatever. Sometimes you got to go out there and dig a little hole, pull the sod up, pull the dirt up, and check for grubs. But think about it though. By default, we automatically have many more grubs potentially in our lawns than we ever have before. Because of the millions of Japanese beetles that are out there now. And then the way you can tell if grubs are damaging your lawn is it's literally like pulling a toupee back because it's eating all the roots and you can just, you'll see your grass looking bad. You could just pull it back and there's no roots. And so, and it's like if there's more than 
10 grubs per square foot of your lawn. If I see 10 in a square foot, I'm going for it. Yeah, and they recommend or or the... they say that less than or ten or less, you don't have to do any treating. But I mean, I'm 10's saying, f- right I'm saying on five that. or less. Yeah. So the ten to me is right on that borderline. <laughs> but um, there are definitely the treatments like you were talking about. There's also natural treatments that you can use too, but you can't use them right now. It's too hot and dry. But like the beneficial nematodes, early spring, late fall, you can add that into your mix too. Because we have the beneficial nematodes, we just don't have enough, especially in our lawns. Yeah, and then you mentioned milky spore, which is a bacterium that you can put down a couple times a year for two or three years. And the beauty of that, once you get that bacterium population built up, uh, it can last up to 20 years Mm -hmm. uh, in your lawn, you know, to help combat uh, the grub problem. So we're bringing this up, guys, because... Every day, people are coming into the garden center every day uh, with roses that have been eaten up. Uh, uh, you know, some, some this one lady actually brought in a little baggie. She had three of the uh, Japanese beetles in there. And she said, now, is this the June bug? I said, you can call it whatever you want. That is a bug you don't want. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to get out there and get rid of these things. And I said, that's not the only three that you yeah. have either. You probably got three million more in your landscape. It's like, oh, you're going to make people panic now. <laughs> well, I mean, just be aware. That's all. Yeah, I, mean, or I mean, like going out in your landscape and there's all these little bugs just hanging out waiting. And, and then, like I said, you can get up early in the morning, go out there, pluck them off, throw them in some soapy water because um, they're really clumsy early in the morning. But and I know we've talked about this the last two weeks, but it, it's a problem. And, it, and the problem is getting bigger every year. It seems like around here. Well, it gives us all gardeners something to do and gives us challenges and gives us something to talk about. the way you think about it. Yeah, so after this break, we'll talk about more gardening challenges. Give us a call, 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad we can be with you today. Um, so let's go to, how about the differences in the sunlight and the shade? Mm. I, we saw, we saw a, uh, person posting a picture that wanted to know what to plant in deep shade, but in the picture, it's not deep shade. Great point. Yeah. It's shade. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, not a dapple shade, actually, you know, it looks like it's shade all the time. But deep shade is See, just deep like, shade is like when you don't even get light. Yeah, you know? it's not light at all. And it's got a couple of layers to reach through to get to the ground. That's deep shade. That's where you see monkey grass and ground covers. Yeah, and that's it. Right. Or you can have some perennials out there, but really no blooming to them. Yeah. Yeah, so for... And then they were interested in evergreens for deep shade. But since this isn't deep shade... So evergreens for sh- more of just a shade area. Yeah, shade area. And good different textures like the uh, spiderweb aurelia. Of course, azaleas. Definitely azaleas. And hydrangeas, but you probably would not get the big amount of blooms you would in the summer. In high shade, you know, hydrangeas do perfectly fine. In fact, a lot of times we see the old fashioned mop head um, hydrangeas in too much sun. Oh, yeah. We do see that a lot. You know, where they just burned around the edges. Yeah, like on. there's one planted on a corner, and which corner is it? Well, anyway, it is shaded 
on one side of the hydrangea and sunny on the other side because it's growing out past the house where the sun's getting. So the shaded side is perky and happy mm-hmm. and there's no little uh, brown edges from wilting and coming back. The one in the sun is oh, smaller yeah. blooms, uh, wilting out fat. Yeah, yeah. Just tired looking. And we're right. talking about the old fashioned blue and pink hydrangeas. Mm-hmm. They really need more shade. Now, these new paniculatas, you know, the lime lights and little limes and bobos and Gosh, I love them. strawberry vanilla and quick fire, all those, they can take all the sun you want to give them. Now, Boy, they're all going to have that white bloom. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have the colored blooms, but God, man, they can, yeah. they're can. they easy plants to grow, I'm telling you. And let's see, deep shade or shade, evergreen, um, what did we say, the Akuba. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that gives you some yellow texture. And then there's Nandina's. Yeah, I got to do, you know, this, I'll go with the, like the small Nandinas, you know, like yeah. the lemon lime or the, the lemon lime would show up. And then flirt, you know, has that real pretty burgundy foliage mm-hmm. on it. Um, of course, hostas, even though you might have the deer issue. And then Mahonia hollies. Yeah. Hookera. Uh, uh, I like the turtle head. Yeah, the perennial. Now you're into the, the perennials. Yeah, yeah, go to the perennials. So you can really get a, a good selection. But that's that's not for the deep shade. For deep shade, I mean, it's it's like you say, it's a ground cover, yeah. basically. The um, you could use those yellow carex grasses in deep shade. That would take your eye back there. And the deep shade or shade right now is the greatest place to garden, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because it's not horrible in the shade. No, but it's made in the shade. That's it. Made Uh, in the shade. Get that. That's why we have it. You know how we say, ooh, I got it made in the shade. Now we know how great that is. But I have seen some beautiful shade gardens. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, just first thought, you know, you're like, what can I put in this, you know, in this shade? There are so many, like you're just uh, talking about, Veda, there are so many annuals, perennials, uh, trees and shrubs that will grow in lower light areas. Uh, so, you know, if you have a situation like that, I mean, don't fret about it. I mean, there yeah. there are lots of things you can put there out there. Are. And also, sometimes when you get limited, you can look at things that may not bloom or may not bloom as much and still put them in that area. Oh, they'll still grow there. Yeah. They, you they can, might not be quite as prolific there, but yeah, they'll grow there. They'll grow there. And so you can still get some enjoyment out of that plant, even if it's not going to do all of the blooming, because you get limited a lot of I mean, times. I'd almost rather see sun-loving plants in the shade than shade-loving plants in the sun. Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes total sense, because I see because there are shade-loving plants that... Can kind of endure the sun. Hydrangeas. Yeah. <laughs> Big hostas. <laughs> yeah. Other uh, Bree, uh, who is our bookkeeper at work, and she's just got married, maybe like 24 or something. So first house, first yard. And she was coming to me for some questions here or there. and Lots she, of questions on yeah. first house, first yard. And she's tried to be, you know, she says, I know you get so many questions and all. But the first <clears throat> one was she's growing hostas in containers love it well they were wilting and looking horrible and so she brought me a picture and i asked her where the sun was and so they were frying that's what the problem was i said just where's your shade she yeah. said backyard and i go just put them in the backyard and water them a little more Let and them flush back out yeah, they're gonna be fine so she comes in to work like two weeks later and she goes something was eating my hostas <laughs> and she goes so we looked at our the camera, like the doorbell ring or whatever the camera they have up 
And it was a deer the munching force. on her hostas. And she goes, what do I do? And I'm thinking, that's so crazy. I tell her, get them out of the sun, move them in the backyard, they'll be great. And then a deer walks up and eats the hostas. She says, I'm never doing a hosta again. I'm like, now, you know, you can't say that. We can just come up with some other options yeah. or some ways to keep the deer away. But the, just the, the garden... It's she's you, she's learning, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, she's learned. So finally, I was thinking about this later, and I go, you know what? I need to just get her a design, tell her the soil prep and all of that, and have her start because they're just all all the younger people are just buying plants and and putting them in the ground, but not really considering that our ground's not right. Yeah, well, for, that's for all our ornamentals. And if you are having a problem with deer, you know, there were two things that I tell people. One is the shake away, which is the uh, the predator urine. Mm-hmm. that you can sprinkle out there. And then milorganite, you know, milorganite, which is a good organic fertilizer. In fact, we sell tons of it, but you too, mm-hmm. do too. Uh, it also dubs as a really good deer repellent. I mean, you can get a handful of milorganite, sprinkle it in that pot. Uh, and I'm not saying it's not going to, it's going to keep every deer mm-hmm. away from your hosta, but it probably would, to be honest with you. Right. Right, because it's a threatening smell. Yeah, to them. and it's, it's going to feed the hostas, you know? Yeah, right. So you so, cannot go wrong with that. No. And then uh, it's funny, we're getting all, all this way, but I was looking at, again, I'm always looking for deer resistant plants, thinking that we're going to find out there's more that, that's resistant. I don't really think the list has grown that much, but I thought this was really good because they put plants that deers love to eat. So that makes it easier. Yeah, and I you think know. these city deer, they've upped their ante. I mean, they'll eat almost anything <laughs> around here. I'm telling you. I think you. so. You know. So they're saying deer doesn't eat a cuba, a camellias, crab apple, crocus daylilies. Yeah. Asiatic lilies, they don't like that. It's probably too much perfume smelling. English ivy, the fatsia, which is the uh, relia. Yeah. Hibiscus. Hosti- uh. What? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I was right. I'm on the what they love to eat. Now I'm like, hostas. wait, now I don't believe this. <laughs> yeah. Okay, hostas they love to eat. Autumn Joy, Black-Eyed Susans, Tulips, and Violas. Yeah. Huh. And then we've got all kinds of list of deer-resistant things, but I guess it's really easier just to remember what they love to eat <laughs> and then plant everything else. That's how I always learned everything. Just know what not to do and everything else is fine. Well, and we're always in a constant struggle with varmints. I mean, we really are. I don't care if you're living in the country, if you're just in a, you, you know, in the city or everywhere in between. Uh, it's not only the insects and the disease. It, it is the varmints. And even, you know, you and I, Veda, on, in, at our houses, you know, we've all had moles. So maybe mm-hmm. to me, a mole is a varmint. Uh, and, it, you know, it, it's not really destroying a lot of stuff, but it is just tearing up your yard looking for something to eat. And then you've got voles, V-O-L-E-S. They're the ones out there eating the roots off of everything. In fact, we'll talk about voles later on in the show. But, you know, it's a varmint. You go out there and lay sod down, get it good and watered. Well, here comes Mr. Raccoon. He wants to pull up that sod and see if there's anything up under it. So you go out there the next day and all your sod's flipped upside down, you know? I just, I have heard that story from our show a number of times and still cannot figure that. And you're talking about like when they lay new sod. Yes. And they just go roll it back. Just roll it right back. They're they're very neat about it. You know, thank them for that. So we can just go back and flop it back over. On a daily basis. Yeah, Yeah, I know. And then armadillas, um, you know, and squirrels. I mean, Mm. God, you know, we're we're butting our heads against the wall trying to keep our landscape the way we want it 
in their world, I guess. Yeah, that's really it. You know, and there's they're out there going, really, these people, they just ruined my whole environment. I mean, where are they going to go? But your yard, I mean, where are they going to go, literally? And I mean, we don't want to kill all of them and then if we're setting taking them and setting them free then all of a sudden there's an overpopulation in the part of the woods everybody drops things yes but some people do go a little over the top for example my neighbor that lived behind me years ago when we first moved in these houses he would get a wheelbarrow and he would put corn in it and he would put that corn in his backyard and Mm -hmm. every day a herd of deer not Mm -hmm. just one a herd of deer would come munch on the corn. Well, guess what? When he stopped feeding, putting the corn out there. Did they really start on the plants? Yes. And my backyard adjoins his backyard. See where I'm going here? Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) So they don't have boundaries. They're like, okay, the corn's not here. Uh Look at that lush-looking holly over there. Huh. Mm -hmm. So he was doing the corn thinking that... Well, he just liked seeing the deer. He was doing it just to to be doing it. Well, I can't say that I wouldn't blame him. I would probably come up with something like that, too. But that is if you run out. But, but, I mean, those deer were used to coming to that backyard Mm -hmm. to get that good corn. And then when he stopped doing it, the deer were still coming to that backyard. Hungry, I guess. Okay? You know, I found out, like... um, when I was working at BWI for a little while, and we sold, you know, chemicals, fertilizers, and all that, but they also sold uh, deer foraging food and a lot of stuff doing to deal with hunting. And I mean, I've hunt, hunted before out in out in the woods in the natural areas, and of course, I didn't shoot anything. I just liked walking around and yeah. target practice and all. But I did not know that they sold the corn and all that to put out in areas for oh, the yeah. deer to forage so deer will be around so they can hunt them. That's, That's not fair. What's your problem? I know. <laughs> That's not fair. But I was uh, surprised on that, that that takes place that way. Well, varmints are a real deal, I'm telling you. And that's like I said, you know, either you try to trap them, typically, mm-hmm. you know, a have a heart trap or a mold trap. There's usually a trap for the varmint that we're trying to get rid of. They're repellents, you know, whether they're, again, it's, you know, a, a predator you're in or, or whatever you're trying to get rid of. There's usually a repellent for that particular right. uh, varmint. <laughs> and then there are baits. You know, a lot of times we try to bait them, uh, Veda. But, I mean, we spend a lot of money every year trying to keep the varmints at bay. Yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah, we really do. I guess it's part of the gardening game. So if y'all want to just hang on a minute, we're going to go out to another break. Uh, you can leave us questions on Facebook Live. We get questions that way. And uh, you can also call in and leave a question that way, too. And, of course, we've got plenty to talk about. If you just wanted to throw a topic out there, we're good to go. Uh, call us at 260-5926. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So... Back to gardening and this wonderful weather. Weren't you going <laughs> to... Wonderful weather. Yeah, wonderful weather. Tell us about tomatoes, tomatoes. Yeah, well, you know, you, hey, the serious gardeners, they're taking care of those tomatoes. They you know are. why? Because we got a tomato contest coming up July the 16th. Yay. The yeah, great I, tomato contest. I hope that the heat's not causing people to have problems with getting tomatoes with the germination of them. Well, I mean, the germination. P- the pollination. The yeah. I mean, most tomatoes, most of them, 
stop pollinating when the t- nighttime temperatures are when the daytime temperatures are above 90 the nighttime temperatures are above 75 well i know we're here there. we are so too early again but but um we'll i mean see. yeah i mean as far as tomatoes you know what you have out there now you just want to you want to keep them hydrated you know and, and keep on you know an eye out for insects and disease uh, but no there are, there are tons of tomatoes on, on tomato mm-hmm. plants right now but uh, this is pretty cool. This I think this is the third or fourth year for the Great Tomato Contest, which is coming up, like I said, July the 16th. It's at the AgriCenter International at the Big Red Barn. Everybody knows where that is. Um, and it's sponsored by the Memphis Area Master Gardeners. But you can, you can get your tomatoes together uh, and, and take them in and actually enter the tomatoes that day. Uh, and I think uh, drop-off starts about 9 o'clock to 11, and the judging will start about 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock. And guys, I'm telling you, because Veda, we've we've done it. We've mm-hmm. been actually been judges uh, at the Great Tomato Contest. You're talking about a, a hoot of a time, and and to me, uh, when when Jamie Childers was first thinking about yeah, this, yeah, is uh, you know, there's no other, in my opinion, there's no other vegetable or fruit that people have such passion about. And I've always said this so many times before. I can have a garden, and I can have beautiful cantaloupe and green beans and okra and squash wow. but if my tomatoes don't perform then it feels like it, it was a complete failure just failed yeah but but having the bragging rights of having the best tomato oh my lord are you kidding me and they get awards for them too so you get yeah, they, to display your award yeah mm. see, and i would be mine would be front and center yeah. i mean i'm telling you so don't forget this guys july the 16th at the ag center out there uh the great tomato um contest and mm. it is it really is a good time you know i had one of the best or the best tomato ever i really think i have to say and it was from the agri center at the farmer's market yep. i don't even know which one it was i know we purchased it there and then the next thing i know it's cut up to go on my sandwich we used to go in there like every saturday morning yeah. and and just buy tomatoes and the peaches are incredible i mean it really is worth just hitting up the farmer's markets um, the stuff just tastes better. It really, really does. I mean, I'm thankful that we have a grocery stores to buy fruit from uh, when we need it. But at the farmers markets, whichever ones you go to, you're going to get great things. Well, one thing that we're, we're seeing on tomatoes, with because of this ex- extreme heat, uh, is tomato leaf roll. Uh, it's it, it's mm-hmm. weird, Veda. It's where the leaf of the tomato will just kind of curl upwards. Yeah. And, you know, most people, when they see that, uh, because there are other things that can cause tomato leaves to curl upwards. You instantly think there's going to be a a worm in there. Well, a worm curling the thing, uh, herbicide damage, Mm -hmm. uh, different uh, virals can cause that. Uh, But there is a, you know, just a physiological uh, dilemma Mm -hmm. to where when it's so hot, uh, that tomato will curl itself upward to keep the tomato leaf from burning. Yeah. Uh, it conserves so, water that way, too, when it's rolled up. Amazing. And, you know, if you are seeing tomato leaf roll, uh, where it just rolls up on you, uh, one of the things is you want to really try to keep the moisture at a consistent level. Uh, yeah. That's the biggest thing. Uh, when they're doing that, Veda, it's, it's not just because of the extreme heat. Uh, it's also the up and down watering, mm-hmm. you know. So it, it, we always preach to people that with tomatoes anyway, you do want to try to keep them at a at a constant moisture. Yeah. Another thing that can cause 
you know, blossom in rot, where the bottom of the tomato starts to rot, is not only a lack of calcium, is the up and down watering that goes with it. Yeah, that's always been one of the recommendations is keep your watering level, you know, keep it moist. Not too, not really wet. Not don't sloppy, soak it sloppy, not, muddy wet. Yeah, and then, but don't let them go dry. You know, do you ever look at a, a container and go, well, I can tell it's dry, but the plant's not wilting yet. Well, it's stressing really bad from just being dry like that. It's causing long-term effects. Sometimes things don't have to be wilting. Yeah. To be dry. But how cool is it that mother, I mean, tomatoes can roll that leaf, though, to mm-hmm. keep that leaf from burning. And then they, of course, remember that in, you know, hot weather that we've had, there's no pollination going on mm-hmm. to speak of. In fact, they say a lot of the tomatoes that are green, instead of ripening red in extreme heat, a lot of times they'll ripen somewhat of an orangey color. Interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. So there's how we get some of the orange tomatoes. You can tell your weather yeah, they're coming by from, the color of your tomato. Yeah. So, but, but just, uh, you know, just general maintenance. Uh, try to keep these tomatoes at a constant moisture. You know, always be on the lookout, of course, for insects and disease. There are great fungicides out there, the great insecticides out there, both synthetic and organic, that you can safely use on uh, tomatoes. And there's nothing wrong with actually putting some type of shade over them in the hottest part of the day. You're, oh my God, you're reading my mind. You know, a lot of people, including myself, you know, we always thought that tomatoes needed full sun. Mm-hmm. Well, they need more sun than shade, okay? But the best place to put them is where they get a lot of sun, but they're they're somewhat protected. In fact, they are protected <laughs> from the hottest part of the mm-hmm. afternoon right. sun. They don't need that. Yeah. So they really can, don't want it. So if you don't have a spot like that, then grow something like corn on or that, a trellis with beans. On that west side. Yeah, and then that way it can sh- shade your tomatoes through, you know, the hottest part of the day even. And, and, and if you go and you start reading about tomatoes, I'm telling you, and whether it's tomato leaf roll or anything else, they will tell you they just don't need to be in the and you in the hottest part of the day. You you see tags around here that say full sun. What people don't realize, full sun here in Memphis, that is a harsh place to grow yeah. anything. It man, y'all, it truly is. So always remember that full sun in Memphis is intense. <laughs> it's not like full sun in Florida or California. No, or full sun Wyoming. in Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's baking sun. And the reflective heat, you know, if you're not in a, a area that's got a lawn or a lot of trees or a lot of landscaping, the heat's going to be more intense and more reflective. So look at ways to um, cover your walls. So you can have shade in the summer and then the leaves can fall off and have a sun on your wall to warm your house. Mm. So look at some ways like that, too. And we'll be right back to go over more of those. You're listening to In the Garden. Good morning. Welcome back to the second hour of Mid-South Gardening. Glad you're with us this morning. If you don't hear all the show, you can absolutely listen to our podcast. It's got the first two hours. It doesn't have the third hour. Yeah, KWAMRadio.com. And if you want to give us a call, Miss Veda, 260-5926. And if you want to shoot us a text, the Mighty 990 Facebook page, like Mary Calvary did. She said, my tomatoes look healthy and lots of blooms, but no tomatoes. And we were just talking about that, where... You know, when these nighttime temperatures get uh, above really 70, 75 degrees and the daytime temperatures are above 90, 95 degrees, it's really hard for these tomatoes to pollinate. So it's not 
a lot of times nothing, it's not anything wrong with the tomato. Mm-hmm. It's just the weather. Now, another thing is excessive nitrogen. As you also yeah. know, Veda, you can get a lot of pretty green growth, uh, but just not a lot of uh, fruit development. Like if you use urea. <laughs> yeah, which I love to use on my lawn, but right. not on my tomatoes. Triple 13, eh, that's still balanced, that's though. It doesn't really put too much nitrogen. Now, one thing also to keep in mind, maybe next year. Uh, well, first of all, for Mary, just be patient. Uh, you know, they will eventually uh, pollinate mm-hmm. uh, from one bloom to the other. But you used to go out there and kind of thump yeah. your blooms and kind right. of move that pollen around. And it did work. Uh, but then you said that you've heard... Well, you can that get fifty. You've got fifty hours. Yeah, if to a, have them if, around. Yeah, if a tomato doesn't pollinate within the first fifty hours of that bloom, uh, a lot of times it just falls off. Yeah, it just. So moves. see, I caught it in time too. But uh, a tomato set, blossom set, uh, you can spray on the blooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times that um, let them stay on there, make them stay on there long enough to pollinate. But it's not uncommon to have tomato blooms fall off without pollinating yeah. in extreme high temperatures right. that we're going through now. And you can spray them just to give them more health and to actually aid in a lot of issues that tomatoes can get throughout the season by spraying them with the liquid seaweed <clears throat> or spraying them with the, the big, big bloom, bloom. Is which I, I like a lot because it gets you all kinds of nutrients on your, in, in another in your plant th- in yeah. your soil. Oh, I yeah. love that those products, Faye. I mm-hmm. love them. And whether you're spraying them or using them as a drench or both. Yeah. But also there are some tomatoes that perform a little better in extreme heat mm-hmm. uh, as far as pollinating and so forth. Uh, celebrity. Okay. Is a really good tomato. I mean, that's why everybody ought to plant at least one celebrity. Uh, I'm giving all my secrets away know, from the great tomato I'm contest. Tomatoes writing it down. Yeah. And then another one is uh, I've always heard. Now I haven't read this, but I've always heard that Arkansas Traveler is also another tomato that performs well uh, even in the summer when the temperatures are you know crazy like they are. Where the other ones are suffering, they just keep on pollinating and keep so, on producing. An Arkansas Traveler Celebrity. Yep. See, if I a put C- it together, I'm going to remember. A Celebrity who is an Arkansas, Arkansas Traveler. Traveler. Yeah, I like that one too. <laughs> so so Mary- those two, those two <laughs> were like... So you're saying when we're getting warmer and nothing wants to set, that these two can endure a little longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so we got to have and that. There are other ones, but those, uh, those two I've, I've heard mm-hmm. about forever. That those, That's why a lot of people plant those two in particular uh, is because they just keep producing even in this these crazy high heat situations we have in the summertime around here. Oh, what is the weather? Let me look at my inaccurate <clears throat> weather app. <laughs> They all are, though, but... I think I've heard this afternoon a high of 100, but it's supposed to cool off. We're supposed to have a cool front coming through tomorrow that might bring a little bit of rain. Miss Veda, uh-huh. fingers crossed. 70%. Yo, but you know what? Mm. All of the next week is not over. There's only one day over 90. It's 82, 84, 89, 90. See, I was hoping... Mm. That we had that trend where we started off in June really hot, but then we would go back to cool at the end of June. So I wonder if we're going to be really hot in July and drop back down to a little cooler in the end of July. I don't know, but it looks like we're getting a break if this is accurate. I mean, who thought that 95 sounded so good? I know. Because, you know, in the industry, we always would say, when it gets over 95, our, our spring season's usually done. And that's usually after 4th <laughs> of July. Well, we passed um, 90 
and went straight to 100. No, yeah. So our season almost, well, our season ended fast. But since we're getting this little break, I, I really think we can go do a lot more planting. Yeah, people are still yeah. doing it out there. Yeah, but you got um, all the containers to do, and the hanging baskets, and the wall troughs. Well, but it's not just the oppressive heat that we've been going through. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's so dry. We just haven't had any rain, and that's to me that is more prob- problematic to the plants. Yeah, uh, because we're trying to figure out how to water, how much to water. Is what we're talking about in the first fifteen mm-hmm. minutes of the show. It's it, water is a big yeah. deal. Well, you know what we should do, is, even though it's probably it's going to rain tomorrow. There's like seventy percent chance. Hey, watch your. We right. hope it does. Right. So don't actually say, "Oh, I'm not going to worry about it. It's going to rain tomorrow." <laughs> even if it does rain tomorrow, if we've let things go so dry, it's not going to soak deep down. So go ahead and do some watering no, like today. Like you normally would, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead and water, and that way your your soil it will be easier for the rain to percolate through the soil since it's already moist. Now, let me tell you another thing with this extreme heat and drought that we're going through. Uh, round, uh, the weed killers don't work uh, like they normally do. Uh, I had a gentleman, uh, gr- great friend of mine, he was spraying some just viney vines, I guess, <laughs> viney vines, <laughs> that were on a fence row, Veda, uh, with Roundup. Um, you know, it's the Roundup that's got uh, the 18% active ingredient and has the diquat mixed in with it. Mm-hmm. And that product works really fast, okay, because of the diquat that's in there. Well, he was asking me about it. He said, man, I sprayed this, you know, this whole fence row, and it just doesn't seem like it's doing anything. And I said, you know, that really doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it gets really hot, first of all, plants just quit growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, weeds, you know, they just stop. I mean, they just kind of sit there. They're in survival mode, okay? And then a lot of times they'll also start putting on that waxy cuticle on their leaf uh, to protect the leaf, you know? Um, so if you're out there spraying weed killers, well, first of all, I wouldn't be spraying anything in my lawn when the temperatures are this hot. Okay. I mean, most weed killers, you just can't use when it's above 90 degrees, period. Uh, most of them, but, um, but something like Roundup and he knows he was just out there spot treating. Okay. Just spot treat to kill what you want to kill because it kills anything that it touches, Veda. But it's amazing how drought being really dry mm-hmm. and really hot really affects the way these products work or don't work. Well, that's like the horticultural grade vinegar. This weather (laughs) is awesome for it. You know, and and I'm not talking about it's not going to clear a fence row. Twenty percent vinegar is not going to clear it, your. It fence. would burn it. Yeah, but it, it's just going to be. You'd have to use a lot, a lot of it. But you know, if you go out in your garden and there's all these new little weeds coming up, or how about you see where there's all these little little little, little bitty weeds are all close together coming up, and you can't get down there to scrub them up. And if you leave them within a week or two, they're going to be huge. But you can spray that twenty percent <laughs> vinegar and it burns it down instantly. And you can just put it in a pump-up sprayer, or, oh, yeah. or just use an undiluted. Yeah, or or a, what? I always call a it a Windex, Windex bottle. Me too. But what is it? It's, it's a little really handheld, a, little handheld pump sprayer. Because we keep saying Windex. I mean, people are like, but I'm it's not a spraying little Windex. Hand, handheld pump sprayer. Right. I guess is what are those Windex bottles called? Mr. Clean bottles. I don't, I don't know why know. I always say that. But well, you yeah. could spray with Windex, and that'd probably burn the weeds <laughs> yeah, down. But we don't too. recommend that. Though. Yeah, let's don't do that. So yeah, it and um, so the weed killers. It is amazing because some weed killers have to work. The plant has to be actively growing. Right. And it's like I said, a lot of these weeds are just in survival mode now. They just kind of shut down and just sit there Mm -hmm. until, you know, we get the next heavy rain. Then they flourish again. But like I told this gentleman the other day, I said, 
if to make this roundup work better and faster in these kind of temperatures, you need to go out there and really water uh, the stuff that you're trying to kill, believe it or not. Yeah, you that's know? true. And how ironic <laughs> is that? Yeah. All uh, the little secrets. Or what about the image? You need to have your lawn moist before you spray. Well, is the, it image, the image? image is one of those that you can actually use in a Bermuda or Zoysia lawn. Uh, in the summer, where a lot of the other weed killers you can't because mm-hmm. of the temperature. But I, like I tell people every day, I don't care what you're spraying. If you're spraying your lawn, if you're spraying your bed, you're spraying anything, you want to make sure it's all hydrated this time of year before you spray. Because a lot of these things, you can go out there and do some damage. Mm-hmm. You can burn a lot of things by just spraying these products that normally you could spray no problem. But with these high temperatures, you, you want to make sure everything's hydrated. But you can use image in your lawn mm-hmm. uh, when it is above 90 degrees. Um, Yay. They don't, where the, a lot of, most of the other weed killers, you can't. I would, and you never really think about having a proper time to spray your weed killer because you're just killing weeds. You can just spray it whenever. But I'm thinking still, like we recommend spraying insecticides and fungicides early in the morning. So we don't have that issue in the middle of the day. Repeat, repeat, repeat. I'm telling you, early, early morning or late, late in the afternoon, never spray during the heat of the day and make sure everything's hydrated before you spray. And like I said, I don't care what Mm -hmm. you're spraying with. Because gardening doesn't have to be so horrible if you're not going to stand out there and garden from like 11 to 3. But but I thought it was, I mean, it's pretty interesting how... You know, weed killer, you would think it'd be just the opposite. Mm-hmm. You'd think you could just nuke weeds right. when it was really hot. You know, just tear them up. I mean, <laughs> just one spray and those things are dead 20 yeah. minutes later. You can mix it at half rate. <clears throat> yeah. You know, you think that sun's just frying But them. it's it's just the opposite, though, because those things are like, like I said, they're in survival mode. They're just mm-hmm. kind of sitting there, and they do have that thicker waxer cuticle on that foliage, and it's hard to penetrate that mm-hmm. with a lot of these weed killers. Uh, and if you're ever going to use a weed killer, read the label. We always say read the label, Betty. You know that. And mix it at the right rate. But also look at the temperature restrictions on there. Because some of them you absolutely cannot use. But even if it's above yeah. 85 degrees, some of them you can't so that's use. that's good information because that's never discussed. Uh, watch for the temperature. Well, we've got more to discuss after we run off to a break. But we'd like to hear your gardening questions or your topics. We do get topics sent in to us um, for questions to address. And, you know, we'll be glad to be back in a few minutes. Yep. 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We've been talking a lot about fertilizing and, and watering and all of that. But one thing you need to think about is say all your um, plants are looking great in your containers. They're blooming. They're beautiful. Well, if you don't provide them with more fertilizer, Mm -hmm. after they lose their blooms, they're not going to be continuously put them on as quick because you've leached everything out of the soil. Good point, because you're constantly watering containers and you're just flushing everything out of that container. And then the plant is absorbing everything else to do its blooming and all. And so even though it's blooming great, don't say, I don't need to fertilize. Yeah. Because you should, I mean, if you're doing the worm castings um, or any good compost, you can layer it on the top of your soil like a mulch, and that's fertilization. The uh, tiger bloom or the big bloom, that's fertilization. I do my containers like 
In two weeks, I'll put granule. In two more weeks, I'll put liquid. Sometimes I'll do them both at the same time. And that's what I think what happens is we don't fertilize our containers a lot. And, you know, when I ask a lot, when you ask around throughout all these years and the two things that I hear is I water more and fertilize more Mm. in my containers. And that's just what keeps them lush. Well, and then also... You'll know if you're using the right quality of potting soil about right now <laughs> yeah, also. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you will. I mm-hmm. mean, some soils are just too mulky, too heavy, mm-hmm. and those plants, are they're already dead. Yeah. Okay? Some of them are just too lightweight, and they just don't hold any moisture at all, mm-hmm. and you're pumping that water out there twice a day. You can't water enough, seriously. Yeah. But a good, high-quality potting soil, it drains, mm-hmm. but it also holds moisture, and that's the beauty of it. And like you said, now, you're still having to water those in this heat a lot, Veda, like you're talking about. And you surely need to bump up that fertilizer on those. And I I like what you just said, too. And I know you've always done this, is you'll put a light layer of earthworm castings Mm -hmm. on the top as a top dressing and then come back and feed, whether it's granulated or whether it's liquid. But I'm telling you, uh, using a good, high-quality potting soil in the spring when you plant all this stuff pays really big dividends now this time of year yeah it really does and and i forget i fall behind too so i just brought a hibiscus mm-hmm. home to plant and i'm looking at it because it's on the garden shelf of course where we're retelling them and all and i was thinking earlier well i want to go ahead and hit these with some fertilizer you know so they can continue to bloom well so i brought mine home and just buds all over it's yeah. blooming blooming and um, i see new growth coming out and then there's one bud left, and I was like, I really should have fertilized this a couple of weeks earlier, yeah. or at least one week earlier, because it doesn't have anything to pull from to continue to make those blooms bigger, faster. But I'm going to put it in the soil, the good soil. Oh, and sure, all, and, and we'll it'll be, be fine. fine. But, but you're it, trying not to lose that set, set <laughs> that time in between with no bloom. You wanted that thing just to constantly, constantly. be top notch every yeah. day. But it's, it's, it was, uh, I remember we were talking about hibiscus uh, three or four weeks ago, that there is a hibiscus food or tropical mm-hmm. hibiscus food out there. And it's one, of the, it's one of the blooming plants that doesn't really need phosphate. Mm-hmm. In fact, it doesn't want a lot of that middle number, yeah. that phosphate. <laughs> Usually we're pumping phosphates to plants to make them bloom. <laughs> But uh, I think, you know, that, that hibiscus food was a, like a 17-4 something. It, yeah. it was just a low phosphate number. They don't want that phosphate. And you're thinking, that's not right. I know, but it is. We're learning more and more that we don't have to have that much phosphorus. And, and then I was uh, talking about fertilizing Veda, and I was talking to a, a customer yesterday. In fact, he came in and got a bag of the Fertilome Long Food Plus Iron. Uh, which is a non-burning fertilizer. But I told this guy, I said, look, even these things that say Mm -hmm. non-burning, it's just been so hot and so dry. I said, don't count on that. I mean, put it out there. That's fine. Do it early or late. But you still want to immediately come back and water these products in. You can't not, not think that they potentially might not burn. Okay. Right. Because they can. And, you know, we were talking earlier about the uh, birds, uh, which is making me think that we do need to tell y'all 
to water your birds. Basically, get some way to supply them some water, something that they can get relief from, and not like a bird bath out in the middle of the open. You know, they they kind of like to be a little protected so they can be in the bird bath, but if something happens, they can run, run, fly immediately into the woods. Yeah, I mean, they. I mean, it's like you said, it's you know, not everybody's got a bird bath. But it's no sense in having one if it lets you go put a little water in it. Well, okay? you know, yeah, that's <laughs> true. And also the depth of the bird bath. Sometimes bird baths are for sale and they're ter- too deep. I mean, a bird can drown <laughs> if, you know, if it's too deep. Um, and they don't want to, um, they just don't want to be in that depth of water, is what I understand. So if you put a rock in your bird bath where they can at least stand on it, because that's like our pond. Even they're not in the pond on the side. We've got rocks. So they're standing on the rocks where they can get a little bit of coolness and water. But that's the one thing about bird baths. Make sure they're not too deep. Some people use saucers, but they're the deep saucers. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, the real deep saucers. That's too deep. <laughs> the bird slips off the edge and whoops. Yeah, right in there. So that's one thing to really pay attention to when you're, because you can make bird baths out of all kinds of things. You well, you, And you know it's hot dry when you're out there watering your plants you get a little water on the the walkway mm-hmm. and you know and bugs are just flying to that's that true. little wet spot just to get some moisture yeah that is true it's crazy i'm it, telling that's how dry it is out there well you can also um do like we sell these tubs yeah. they're decorative um for water gardening because yeah. of course there's no hole in the bottom and then all we've done is we took one water lily, put in the tub, because mm-hmm. you need to have a balance. Mm-hmm. And we were able to put everything in that little tub to create the balance. One water lily, some underwater grasses, some water hyacinths that for float. the top. Yeah. yeah. And then um, we actually had a uh, bog plant, you know, where it sticks up out of the container for some height. We still did the filler spiller thriller on our water garden, but it's just in one little container that you could put on your porch or, um, you know, you can use that for a, uh, a bird oasis. Yeah. You could even put a small pump in there and turn the water. But, but you're not going to have algae problems. You're not going to have mosquito problems. So you can do water gardens as big as, what is that, like 30 gallons, yeah, 20 gallons? Yeah, 15 gallons, you know. Yeah, yeah, you can do them that size all the way up to however large you want to do that. And if you do think you got mosquito larvae in there, you can always throw the little mosquito dunks or the mm-hmm. mosquito bits in there, and that'll kill them right out before absolutely. they ever turn into a mosquito. So Yeah, absolutely. Which the mosquito bo- bits, <laughs> the <laughs> boots, are good for fungus gnats also yes that's it and you can also throw the mosquito bits outside in your standing water but fungus gnats and i know we got jamie i'm scared to go to jamie at the moment but uh, fungus gnats those little gnats (laughs) those little natty gnat gnat gnats yeah they're just they don't really do a lot of damage per se but they're just a nuisance they're on your nose Uh, they they make you go cross-eyed there's that one gnat that's always around and they're usually coming from the wet soil veda that you've overwatered your house plants Mm -hmm. with or you're using the wrong type of soil that's staying too wet but wet soil is where these fungus gnats are coming from. And we always tell people, cut back on the moisture if you've got fungus gnats or, or get another type of potting soil and repot your houseplants. But these mosquito bits that we're talking about, the same mosquito bits that you put in water to kill mosquito larvae, you can sprinkle in your container-grown plants and water it in, and it does a great job of getting rid of those dang fungus gnats. Yeah, it was—we um, were— 
well, we've got a trash can inside behind the register, of course. And what I know, I'm like, wait, no, I'm not telling you the punchline first. <laughs> but anyway, so we're working behind the register, and there's always a gnat. Yeah. Always a gnat. And I'm like, okay, it's definitely, absolutely, definitely not due to any overwatered houseplants. Right. Definitely, especially around in that area. We cleaned and, you know, yeah. you know how garden centers are. There's some soil here. There yeah. could be some soil in your cash register yeah. drawer. Yeah. Usually you is. Know? So we're cleaning all that out. And still, they're around, they're around. Could not figure it out for anything. Where they were coming from. Yeah. Well, realized that outside, sometimes there'll be uh, something that got overwatered. Um, and we'll bring it in and throw it in the trash. <laughs> And so what was happening is the wet soil was going in the trash because it was just a few containers. It's not like uh, loads and loads of it. So apparently the fungus gnats were coming out of the trash can from the wet soil. So when we figured that out and quit throwing around there, they're gone. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. We're going to go to a break and then we're going to talk to Jamie, the master gardener, right after this. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad we can join you this morning. No, oh, yeah. Give us a call, 260-5926, or give us a shout uh, like Mr. Jamie, the Master Gardener's done here. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning. Jamie, we were bragging kind of about you, you know, because to <laughs> me, <laughs> I, I know, how do you kind of brag about somebody, right? But we were talking about the Great yeah. Tomato Contest, and every time I talk about the Great Tomato Contest, and I promise you it makes me think of you, because I remember before this thing even came to fruition that you were making your rounds around the garden centers and asking people, hey, what do you think about a tomato contest? And I remember saying that, in my opinion, tomatoes are the most passionate fruit that you can grow. I mean, and I truly mean that. I mean, people love tomatoes to me more than anything else out there. So I think it's a wonderful thing having this great tomato contest every year. Well, thank you so much. We we appreciate that, and, and we appreciate you all support for sure <clears throat> in regards to this thing because if it hadn't been for you all, we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't be near as successful as we are right now because you all have helped us with it so much. And, and thank you so much. But, boy, you're talking about uh, watering. I don't know if we could talk enough about that or not because – Right now, at 100 degrees, it's, yeah. especially if you got a pot or if you're trying to grow something in a pot and, and fruit or uh, flowers mm-hmm. or, that are trying to make fruit right now, you just got to have the water to it. You better stand over where the water hole is. <laughs> well, and, and that's, <laughs> Jamie, that's what we were talking about, how, how could just watering be so complex? Because, honestly, not enough water, you're in deep trouble. Too much water, you're mm-hmm. in deep trouble. It's, it's, I mean, some people, it's hard to find that balance. Uh, and, it is. It is. And, and let me say this also real quick, Jamie, uh, with the great tomato contest that's coming up on July the 16th, and I know you're, you're a big part of that, is uh, now there's no entry fee whatsoever to this, correct? No, 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 absolutely no. So, that makes it and, more fun. Yeah, it yeah. does. <laughs> and, and anyway, we, we, we're going to pay you some money, too. Yeah. How can you go wrong with that? I'm still in your thing. Can well, I, I, and, and I know there's got to be a way that I can circumvent all of the restrictions. I mean, I can somehow come up yeah. with the perfect tomato because I, I do want to win the first place prize money. Which uh, is Jamie. $100. And best yeah, overall is 200 Yeah. 
And then a hundred for, for yeah. Two hundred yeah. best overall. First is a hundred. Second's fifty dollars, and third's twenty five dollars. Now, would it make any difference at all, Jamie? When I turn my tomato in, if I've like sprayed it down with like Pam and and just you know gave it a good, really clean <laughs> shine, yeah. yeah. Does that make any difference? <laughs> well, now we'd like to see a stem on it if you got one. Oh. Anyway, it's, it's not absolutely necessary. But anyway, what we do tonight is is we've changed a little bit. We need two tomatoes this year. Okay. Uh, because we're going through a preliminary judging before we get to the head table. And uh-huh. uh, so anyway, that's why we'll need to, if nobody wants to enter. And everybody's sitting around, well, but mine don't look too good. Yeah, I'm sure Mr. Mr. the guy that won it last year was growing a uh, mm-hmm. golden knight in a pot yep. in his patio. Yep. And I, I don't know what made him think he was so great, but <laughs> we proud he did because, you know, he uh, he beat everybody. Yeah. Wow. So See, there you go. Little old cherry tomatoes, you know, and golden nights, and just there's the name of it, mm. and it just swept the whole thing. That's so. amazing. And, and let me it ask is. you this, Jamie: If someone's going to enter a tomato, let's say, but I need to enter two. Do uh, let's say I'm entering a a better boy tomato. Do I need to take two of the same variety? So I need to enter two better boy tomatoes, correct? Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I, I would in it to get the same flavor. I would imagine that'd be need just about off the same plant. Gotcha. But. Yeah, and but anyway, that's what that's that's the difference and the only difference. And everybody says, "Well, mine don't look that good." Oh, it don't matter. It's the taste. <laughs> exactly. It sure doesn't right. matter. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we need get, to, <clears throat> Jamie. We need to get you and um, some of the other master gardeners up here in the studio. Uh, you know, before the great tomato contest, and we'll really go over uh, all of these things and uh, get people excited about it. You know. We are. We we're, we always get excited about this this time of year when it gets 100 degrees. That's about the time we have a contest. Yeah, we know. <laughs> so, At least there's something to look forward to when it's this hot. <laughs> hey, how many? And and, and and the camaraderie of this thing with the tomato growers is, is really good, too, because they sit around and talk about what they did and what they didn't do oh, yeah. with their tomatoes. Yeah. Well, and a lot of people now, they'll say what they did, but they're not telling everybody everything that they did. There's always <laughs> secrets being kept. Mr. Jamie. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there's there's probably a lot of categories to also enter in. Like, uh, do you still have the most unique? Um, you've got the... Uh, Hold on. When you, when you said the most unique, you, that used to be called the ugliest oh, the, tomato. Right, right, yes. So we've got the most unique is one category. The sweetest tasting, the most prettiest. Are those some of the categories? You're not having that. Ma'am, I'm... I don't, we're not having the most unique this, this year. Oh, okay. Uh, we, okay. We never we never called them the tomato ugly. We just have unique. But <laughs> yeah. We uh, we, uh, we won't have that this year. But look, uh, they got plenty of information on the Master Gardeners website. If they have any questions at all, I think you'll find the answers there on that. Okay. And so. Website and. Okay, Jan. The Mid South Gardening website. Mid South Gardening. Anyway, okay. Okay, so the you, information out there. All right, we'll pull that up and check it out. Thank you for giving us a call and psyching us on the tomatoes. Jamie, we'll talk to you soon, buddy. We love you, man. Thank y'all. Thank y'all so much for helping us. We appreciate yes, it. Yes, sir. No problem. See and, you later. And did you hear what Jamie said? They never call a tomato ugly. Yeah. They just call it unique. Yes. <laughs> yes, and then he's like, oh, we're not even doing the unique. 
this year because it's all about the taste. It is. Yeah, you know, and, really and Beta, is. you were a judge a couple years ago. And I mm-hmm. was a judge, was it last year or year before? Last year, I believe. Yeah, yeah because, last year. Well, because remember, year before last uh, it was COVID. It. They couldn't yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But uh, I tell you what, there's some beautiful tomatoes that come through there. And it's it really is a lot of fun. And people are passionate about their garden, their vegetable garden, especially when it comes to their tomatoes. So yeah, I'll totally be there for a watermelon tasting contest. Oh, yeah, me too. There's definitely different flavors of watermelon, isn't there? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. So um, back to, we've got our, you know, right now, like okra's doing really good. You know why? Because they love the heat. They It's in the cotton family. It just oh, loves it. I mean, the hotter and drier it gets, the mm-hmm. more that stuff produces. And, it, you know, okra is not hard. I think tomatoes are probably well, yeah, they, kind of the hardest. But, I mean, they're not, but more. Well, they can be because, yeah. it's, you know, there again, when it gets hot, it's hard to pollinate. They're so susceptible to a lot of diseases yeah. out there. They are susceptible to insects, including the big fat ugly tomato horn worm that beautiful creature cool see and they're beautiful hey and they are don't think they're not on them already i've had people yeah. come in with pictures like what is this monster How, are they big yet or there's they still there, no small? there was one i mean they i saw a picture this week and it was a pretty big and we're talking about this green caterpillar guys that gets on the tomatoes called the tomato horn worm and these things can get massive and they eat i mean they'll eat a whole limb of leaves in one night they just they'll you know, eat your tomato. So if you're heavy, if you've got a tomato out there, and the limbs are disappearing, uh, and they will eat the tomato itself mm-hmm. too. But if they'll if the leaves are disappearing on there, and you see this big green thing, first of all, you it's amazing how they camouflage themselves. Right, that's as what big I was... as they are. I mean, it, they're hard to find. It is it's crazy how they camouflage themselves. But if you've got tomato hornworms, which you very well could, and they're already active. Uh, there are some good sprays, Veda, as you know, that you can spray on tomatoes. You don't have to hand pluck them. You can. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I ever see one, I'm, I'm plucking it yeah. right off. But uh, BT, uh, Bacillus. BT is a organic insecticide that only kills caterpillars. Mm-hmm. That's just all it kills. Extremely safe to use. You use well, it on this your... variety of BT. Yeah. Because there's a lot of BTs that do other. Yeah. This is... Um, is it Kirksei mm-hmm. or something like that? BTK, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, it, it's, like I said, it's 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 good to use. And then there's uh, spinosad uh, that also will kill uh, the caterpillars. And it is mm-hmm. a organic product. And then there's permethrins and all the other products in the pyrethroid family. But my point is, there are some really good effective, safe insecticides that you can use on your tomatoes, not only for, uh, you know, tomato hornworms, but for other insects in general. But be on the lookout for these things because they have a massive appetite. You know, if you like to build the most ultimate garden to have the least amount of critter and insect issues, first you would (laughs) need to cage it in. uh, I've seen people do them where they're like, an eight-foot cage all the way around it, and then even caged on the top so the deer couldn't jump over that fence. What, can a squirrel get in there? Probably. Not not caged, not enough. Right. Actually, it was a small, you know, the smaller type of gauge of the wire. And then you put over the uh, netting, 
like an insect netting. So that way the, of course, you may trap things in there, but if you do it early, if you cover it early when all the insects are not active, then um, you're going to have less of a problem. But that's where a lot of things come from. It's where the moths are laying their eggs on the plants, and then the uh, moths are turning into caterpillars, and the caterpillars start eating. and do their, So they're just creating a, uh, doing a life cycle there. So if you have a coverage over your plants, then yeah, it makes now I've heard it of people using row covers, you know, that real mm-hmm. lightweight fabric, if yeah. you will, um, and it keeps the insects off of the plants. But you know, if I've got a just a little backyard garden, mm-hmm. I'm not. I mean, I'll go out there and spray periodically if I need to, yeah. because I know there's some really good, effective, safe products I can use. Veda, uh, you know, and a lot of people are very wary about what they spray on their edibles, and they should be. You know, yeah. you sure don't want to use something that you can't use on edibles. But the beauty of it is these products do work. I mean, they will mm-hmm. kill those caterpillars and the other insects that are out there. So, just be on the lookout because if you if you grow them invariably eventually you're going to get them i I really think they're so intriguing and so pretty and you got to stop thinking yeah no and then when i'm pulling them off the tomato their little cute little feet oh they're just trying to hang on on. there and the last thing you pull off is their little mouth part because they're still nibbling on the leaf as you're pulling them off yeah I remember that time that I took the tomato hornworm all the way down the hill. It was actually eating a pinta. And I told mom, I can't kill it. I can't kill it. And we checked. Why didn't you call me? I know. I should have. We checked to make sure there were no more on that pinta. No more. So I walked Mm -hmm. it down the hill, which was a pretty good ways. And the next morning, her other pinta was eaten and she swears that tomato hornworm came up back up the hill <laughs> that's what i'm talking uh, about no that's what y'all say all right give us a call 260-5926 or check us out on facebook live good morning welcome back to mid-south gardening glad you can be with us this morning so uh what kind of worm was that I was showing you? That's not the tomato hornworm. Oh, that's that freaky looking thing. The tiger moth? Could be. Worm. You know, a lot of these big caterpillars turn into these just just ugly moths, you know? <laughs> and then some of the just indescript little caterpillars turn into the beautiful <laughs> moths yes. that you could ever find. But the tomato hornworm, that isn't that the like the sphinx moss yeah. that it turns into a moth that it turns into? Yeah. Which is a beautiful moth. Right, a beautiful big moth. And so that's the thing. It's like I'm thinking of when I'm smushing that caterpillar that I'm tearing the wings off a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> you know? But this that's not the case though. This is I, or a beautiful moth. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'd rather have butterflies around than moths anyway. Yeah. You know how many... Okay, like there's the butterfly caterpillar that um, eats the parsley. But, I mean, that's nothing. Well, it, but keep in mind now, we do plant certain herbs and, and plants for the caterpillars. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, we do want the monarch butterflies and the black swallowtails and so forth. Uh, but whether it's milkweed, you know, which is for, I guess, the monarch uh, butterflies, the fennel, the dill, the parsley. Yeah. I mean, there again, people plant, a lot of people plant it just for that purpose, mm-hmm. Veda. So not every caterpillar is going to be bad. Yeah, 
you know? No, they're not. But, you know, like the little bitty ones that get on your cabbage or the little bitty ones that get on your ferns. Oh, the one that gets on your canna and rolls the leaf Ugh. up and eats it from the inside out. Most caterpillars we don't want around. Right. Well, that's a good way to look at it. Mostly we don't. Well, we don't want them in the area that they can do the most damage. I, I want them around, you know, but just not in the you area. <laughs> But what about, um, okay, we were talking about tomato hornworms, caterpillars. I don't remember what I was going to say on that. But well, anyway. Let me say this also. You know, I'm always talking about, you know, what can we do in our lawn for our lawns, right? Mm-hmm. Other than watering and feeding and liming and cutting and all that stuff. Another thing, Veda, is typically, you know, when it was so wet back in the spring, One of the things that we saw a good bit of was different fungal activity uh, and fungal damage because of all the moisture we had, right? Well, you would think now that it's so dry that you wouldn't see any fungal activity in someone's lawn. You just wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, I was saying last week. Because you got to have the moisture to to back that that up. Well, yeah. (laughs) You know, there are lawns that are completely being overwatered. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and I get it. I mean, we're all trying to do the right thing. Especially if they're in some part shade. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. And uh, and we're relying on the irrigation, you know, or the the the, the timer. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it's not set right, we're getting either, you know, not enough water or in some cases way too much water. And if you are getting excessive amounts of moisture on your lawn, more than you ever need, uh, then you still can create an environment for fungal activity. And it's it, even though you normally wouldn't think about it this time of year, but we are seeing uh, some lawns out there that do have fungal pathogens because they're staying too wet. Uh, if you do have or you think you have a fungal problem in your lawn, uh, check the moisture or, mm-hmm. you know, that's the first yeah. thing, you know, get all that set first. And then there are uh, fungicides. I mean, there's one called Infuse, and there's F-Stop, and there's uh, liquid systemic fungicides, either granulated or, or ready to spray. But you typically, if you're applying a fungicide to your lawn, this is the most important thing, Veda, is you do it, you come back in about two weeks, and you do it again. Typically, you have to do it at least twice to really mm-hmm. knock out that pathogen that's causing the problem. Right. Uh, now, there are some fungi like rust. Mm-hmm. You know, that I I really wouldn't even worry about it, to be honest with you, unless it was really bad. Uh, and I've had rust in my lawn before. But I tell you, I got rust in there because I was using way too much nitrogen in my lawn. And I kind of created the environment. Uh, oh, for with that, that urea? Well, but Twice. I, was, I was doing it a little too heavy yeah. and, and too often. But, but there are some really bad uh, fungal pathogens out there that will really affect your lawn in a detrimental way. Yeah. Um, but I like using the granulated fungicides, honestly. Two reasons. One is you get really, in my opinion, a, a much better coverage uh, with the granulated fungicide beta. And to me, it's just easier to apply. The granulated yeah. is way easier. I'm I mean, so glad because we used to have to hose and spray everything, all the fungicides, all the um, whatevers. It was all hose in. So now with the granule, it's just it's not hard 
Well, and economically, they, you, the coverage on the granulated product is much greater than the coverage on the spray. Now, if I don't have a big lawn, I don't yeah. mind hooking that thing to my hose and taking off. Yeah, really, I don't. Section, yeah. Right. But for bigger areas, uh, up to 5,000 square feet, uh, mm-hmm. I would prefer to use the granulated product. Yeah. And also, <clears throat> you don't have to deal with the water hose, dragging that around, too, when you're doing the granulated as well. And then that's one reason why I like to use organic products on everything up on everything because we know that there's good fungus and bad fungus in your soil and when when something's off balance again the bad fungus prevails and what we need to do is replenish the good fungus so the good fungus can take over the bad fungus and not have any disease Mm. problems and the way to get the good fungal pathogens into the soil is all organic products just all organic products and then I've seen people that just really put lots of uh, synthetic fertilizer and Mm -hmm. they spray weed killers more than they need. You know, they they add more than they really need. She's looking at me, y'all. Go ahead. Yeah, I was trying to look away, but I kept just making me look at you. They use more than they should use, which then starts damaging some of the good good funguses and all of that. And so that can set us off balance, Kenneth. Huh? Really? <laughs> but you put out organic material Absolutely. also. You know, you do the mill organite and things like that. I wonder how fescue is making it now. You know, Ooh, I, I know, yeah. of course, with fescue, it, it grows in the shade. It grows where Bermuda and Zoysia won't grow. And it goes semi-dormant this time of year, Veda, as you know. When it gets hot, it kind of just sets there. And mm-hmm. you better keep fescue watered. But I know some landscapers that will not even think about planting or dealing with fescue unless they're also putting a fungicide down in the spring Mm. and they're also putting a fungicide down in the fall a lot of times it's not just the heat and the moisture that's killing fescue it's a fungal pathogen that you get in there so you know it's just you know we have to water our lawns and i get it guys but when if you've got fescue you better be watering that lawn because that's really all you can do this time of year now you can spray liquid seaweed like you've talked about before beta about every two weeks and that really helps preserve that fescue through these really hot, dry days. But keep everything watered, guys, but not overwater. That's right. So we're going to be back in a few with more garden tips and garden humor. See you in a minute. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Kenneth. 89 days till fall. Bring it on. (laughs) Good. Now, now, you know, I was talking about how normally we call the gardening season really settling down to starting after uh, 4th of July. Mm -hmm. Well, the dog days of summer are from July 3rd to August 11th. So we've already started our dog days of summer. And remember, you tell me the dog days. When people say the dog days of summer... Mm -hmm. Uh, what do they mean by that? It was like the times that the dogs Dog would, would lay in the breezeway, yeah. just lay around all day because it was too hot for too them. Hot. Too hot. Yeah. So that's the dog days of, right. of summer. And then another one was something about the moon phase. And, you know, there's all kinds of uh, reasons why we call it the dog days of summer. But 
it's universal. When we say that, everybody it knows it means it's hot, not it, like there's a dog day party. You know, or and, and, and we all know we're going to have hot weather, but mm-hmm. it just flew in here so fast. And, and like I said, it's not just really the heat. You know, I mean, we always can kind of put up with the heat. Yeah, it's, it's the lack of moisture that we've had. I mean, that's to me as far as the landscaping, our landscapes. That's that's just as important as how hot it is out there. Right. Just keeping things hydrated, kind of as a recap, right? Right. And then the more that we have planted, the much more enjoyable outside is. Like, for instance, on our patio, you know, I have have uh, lots of containers, you know, some palm trees, some ferns, yeah. garden furniture, a little water garden, you know, because I've got a, a large balcony. And it's so nice to go out there, but they're painting everything. So we're having to take all that in. Mm -hmm. So when you go outside on the balcony now, it's just a slab of concrete. So why would I even go out there? Not near as inviting as it was before. It does not feel good. And then I'm in the house thinking, you know, I don't want to walk all, go downstairs to hang out in the yard right now i i want to just walk out on the patio and enjoy my peace and quiet and all but there's nothing but hot hard concrete (laughs) so imagine if you i mean you would only even if you just added one container Mm -hmm. garden that would help so much so the more that you can get in there the better it feels and then you're saying well i have to water a lot but if you use bigger containers mm-hmm. instead of a bunch of four inch, six inch, even mm-hmm. eight inch, I mean, I'm 15 inch probably is the low, smallest that I'll container I have. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing about watering. Some people will think just a couple of a quart of water. I mean, I'm taking almost a gallon and a half of water to those that container to get it totally hydrated and just leave a little moisture in the saucer for it to take up later. So, I mean, that's a gallon and a half of water per container. Some containers are even two gallons, whereas some people are you get filling up their cup of water mm-hmm. in the sink. Well, but you made the comment also that it makes you feel good about going on the balcony when you have all that green material out there. And that's why in the last two or three years, the house plant market has just boomed mm-hmm. because people do want to surround themselves with green stuff, Ada. Uh, and the generation that's coming up, the younger um, men and women, yeah. you know, a lot of them are in uh, apartments and condos and so forth, and they really don't have an outdoor living space. So they're, they're bringing the living space indoors. And yeah. who would have ever thought that? I mean, houseplant mm-hmm. sales are, are through the right. roof. And like I said, they have been for at least two or three yeah. years. You know, I feel the impact mm-hmm. when all the college kids went out of uh, town for summer. Right. And I miss all the the young kids coming yeah. in and laughing and, and telling us about how they're learning to do their plants and us teaching them and all. So I'm looking forward to the college kids coming back, too, because like you said, they're just totally... It's a jungle in their room. You know, we used to spend money on buying curtains to keep the light out. Now we're spending money on plants with no curtains because we want the light in. (laughs) (laughs) Golly. Things make a big circle, don't they? Yeah, they do. Um, Also, I can give you some advice on some other plants that can take low light and all. But I would love to hear what Gerald has to say about his garden. Good morning, Gerald. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Thank you, and uh, appreciate your program. Thank you. Uh, appreciate it, General. Uh, uh, I have a question. Uh, 
I've had uh, concentrated Roundup mm-hmm. that I haven't used in a long time. It, you know, it's still in the concentrated uh, in the menu. bottle. Yeah, right, the bottle. Right, right, right. And it doesn't seem to work um, like it used to. Is, is, mm-hmm. is there a shelf life on that stuff? There really is. And where have you stored it? Also, mm-hmm. like have you stored it in the garage where it get or out in a shed where it gets really cold or really hot? Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've yeah. done both of those. Well, you know, we talked about that particular topic uh, in the first hour. How a lot of weed killers, Gerald are not, uh-huh. you know, they just don't work like they normally do in these extreme temperatures. And the reason uh-huh. we were saying that is because whatever you're trying to spot treat or whatever you're trying to kill with Roundup, uh, mm-hmm. the with the extreme heat that we're going through, the plants, the, the weeds, the vines, whatever, they're almost just kind of shut down. They're just mm-hmm. kind of sitting there waiting on the next mm-hmm. rain. Uh, they're doing they're they're in a survival mode, if you will, and they're also they also create a thicker cuticle on their leaf, which is really hard to penetrate chemically. Um, so, if you're using Roundup and it's just not working like it should, it might not be the Roundup. It could be, but it might not be the Roundup. You might let a good rain come through here, let everything get hydrated, let everything start growing again, including the weeds that you're trying to kill. And then retry it because a lot of products that typically work in just a matter of days or even hours are not working like that because of the extreme dryness and the heat. Yeah, they need to be growing a lot of times to make it work. Also, there are shelf lives or there is a chance that the the, uh, concentration mix isn't as strong as before. And that's like if it's, you've had it, I think, over three years or you've had it where it freezes and gets right. too hot, freezes, gets too hot. All that stuff changes the percentage of the concentration or the mixture or even changes the whole chemical itself. So it's either because it's so hot that it's going to take Roundup longer to use or it is partially inactive over the shelf because, life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you probably need to shake it up too, kind of get it all mixed up together as well. But I'm telling you, Gerald, I mean, I know a guy that uh, that used some Roundup this week uh, on some stuff that was on a fence row. And he gave me a call and he said, you know, Kenny, it just, it just, you know, what do you think? It just didn't do a good job. And he's done it before and he's used it before and it's done a great job. I said, it's nothing that you did wrong. It's not the product. It's not you. It's the environment that you're spraying in. And like I said, the plants when they when they're in shutdown mode, they're not actively growing, and they're and they've got a, it's harder for that product to penetrate that leaf. So, like I said, after some good watering or after a couple or a good rain, the product should work better for you, Gerald. Okay, well, I sure do appreciate the good info, and again, I sure appreciate your program. All right, Thank buddy. you, Gerald. Thank you, man. Have a good weekend. Glad to hear from you. Yeah, it's just like you said, you would think it would make it work faster. You would, and then that's when you mentioned the vinegar, the one product that mm-hmm. probably would just work. Really in, fast. Yeah. Hours. Yes. Or minutes. minutes. Yeah, you can see it browning out now. Would so, be that 20% vinegar. Because the hotter it is, the, the more that stuff just flat out burns, you know. Yeah. And that's all we're trying to do on a lot of the weeds is we're just trying to burn them down so we don't have to hoe them. But they're not creating any weed seeds unless they're getting larger and getting the seed heads 
But if you can just use that 20% vinegar on the tender new ones coming up, and yes, you do have to be careful. Don't let it, if you're spraying in your vegetable garden, just don't let it spray on your plants because it is a similar to Roundup action. It kills anything it touches. Well, yeah. most things it well, touches. Well, it'll burn anything it touches yeah. and potentially kill anything it touches. So well, you, like I, you said, you treat it just like you would Roundup, yeah. a spot treat only. Do you remember, it was like a number of years back when the vinegar weed killer was becoming uh, popular, and I don't remember what state it was, but they had the blackberry vines just were totally invasive there, Mm. and they would just drench the soil with vinegar, which made it real acidic, Mm. and then the blackberry vines, they just couldn't live in that situation, and a lot of people were saying, well, that's not good, you just killed your soil, I'm like, well, maybe you've damaged your soil, but you've got rid of the blackberries and then you just add your organic matter back in and your soil's not dead, you know? So um, they they had better results with doing that than actually using the brush killer and all. Well, and we always say there's a big difference between soil and dirt, okay? Yeah. You know, we call it what we want. Good, rich, healthy soil is high. Well, it's not, when I say high in organic matter, mm-hmm. it has organic matter yeah. in it. Uh, by volume, you know, it doesn't need to be mm-hmm. a whole lot, but you do need that organic matter in there, the compost, if you will. Where to me, when I think of dirt, I just think of this dried up clay yeah. dirt that just won't support or grow anything, mm-hmm. beta. But like you just said, if you're adding compost materials back into your soil, you're adding life back into your soil. Mm-hmm. That's why we typically add compost to our vegetable garden, say, every year. We add maybe a little lime to keep the pH up where it needs mm-hmm. to be. Um, you know, we're doing all these things to make our soil healthy. Because to me, it, it all starts with the soil. It doesn't start with the plant. It doesn't start with the seed. It starts with the soil, I'm telling you. Well, we're going to talk about a few house plants when we get back. You're listening to Veda and Kenneth on the Mighty 990. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Can if that a lady come in and want a male hydrangea? Hmm. They want, she wanted the ones that were blue. <laughs> Got it. It took me a second. You know, you could always, um, I guess, you know, if, if a couple's having a baby, you know, send them either a pink blooming hmm. hydrangea or a blue blooming hydrangea. Yeah. Never thought of that until you just said yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. And then I was going to give you some more information about houseplants. And one was, uh, which I never really thought much about, but a lot of people request houseplants that will grow in their bathroom. Hmm. And of course, you've got to have light in your bathroom. But there are a few that we put in the bathroom at work. And we have like a bright light in the bathroom mm-hmm. that we just keep it on all day, all day. But we're able to get away with a lot of stuff like the Chinese evergreens. No, but, but, it's not, but it will grow in any room that has decent light, right? Right, right. Yeah. And so, but it's, so the bathroom's got probably more, has definitely more humidity. So you would Where think anything. Where a whole anything, bathroom would, yeah. Yeah, you would think anything. <laughs> but the ones that are like big time recommended are, of course, the peace lily. And those pretty begonias, like the, the um, decorative begonias, the angel wings, oh, yeah, and some of them. those dragon wing. Um Aloe vera, definitely pothos. Mm. Pothos grow anywhere. 
If they're and in there's low, a lot of different varieties of pothos yes. out there other than just your old-fashioned variegated pothos. Yeah. Now there's actually ones I want. <laughs> really pretty. Maybe because we're just not used to seeing them, Veda. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's you know, some. We always good. are attracted to things that are different. Yeah. I got to have different. Yeah, and I just love looking for, for different, like bird's nest ferns does good in the bathroom. And now there's a hurricane bird's nest fern. Now, what's the and it's, difference between those two? Well, a bird's nest fern is upright. Right. The hurricane, okay, think about when you're looking down on a hurricane and how it swirls Twisty. around. That's what this bird nest fern looks Unbelievable. Into. And you actually can hold it sideways and turn it, and it does look like a hurricane rolling so that's a really neat one. So ferns in general, I guess, especially yeah. those two would look great in a, uh, yeah, a, a setting, uh, setting if you get decent light like you're yeah. talking about because you are going to get typically more humidity mm-hmm. in there because of the water. Yeah. But, you know, also I hear maiden hair ferns do better in the bathrooms. I mean, I love maiden hairs, but I hate to sell them as houseplants because it's just so dry indoors. <laughs> but if we put them in a terrarium... And they do great in there because there's a humidity. And they do good in the bathrooms, too. But maidenhair fern just kind of sitting on your table in the living room. It just dries out so fast. And you could keep it watered, but it still crumbles. Yeah, and I've seen people get uh, like a clear saucer, fill it with pebbles, add mm-hmm. water you know, uh, in there, and set the fern on top of that for a little more moisture or mm-hmm. a little more humidity, at least around that plant. Yeah. Uh, and it helps, Veda. It's not the... The answer to the dryness in the house, but it but it does it help, helps. especially on something like a maidenhair fern. Right. So if you add the the pebbles, uh, that's gonna with because it holds the moisture down there and that creates humidity. And say you have a humidifier and have it you know close to your kitchen, you know, so you can definitely get the humidity going. And especially at this time of year, it's no problem. But anytime you're near water, there's humidity. Mm. And I have heard people say that it makes no difference to put plants on a pebble base, you Me know, too. In a tray. Yeah. But it's water, and yeah. water's humidity. And orchid growers do that all the time. So apparently there's something to it. So I'm thinking that would definitely help to have the pebbles in the bottom of the tray. All right, so are there any house plants that you shy away from i mean because to me any any house plant in the right conditions mm-hmm. you can grow right you know right. and there are some house plants that get a big wrap or a bad mm-hmm. wrap a big bad wrap <laughs> you know remember the old ficus trees mm-hmm. forever and a day people said they would not should not and could not grow a ficus because they could look at it wrong or move it from one mm-hmm. end of the room to the other it drop every leaf it had if a ficus tree is in an environment that is is suitable mm-hmm. uh, they're actually easy to grow right you know, one thing we're going to have to do, because it is easy to grow, is we have two ficus alis outside, and they're perfect, humid, part shade conditions, right. growing like crazy. But if somebody's going to buy that, they're going to want to put it in the house. Right. So I have thought about this, and even as beautiful as they're looking outside, I need to slowly get that acclimated back to indoors. Because if they come in and buy that plant, take it in mm-hmm. at home and put it in their living room, it's going to drop some of those mm-hmm. leaves until it gets acclimated to where it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, most house plants that you buy from a garden center, you know, like Dan West or, or even Palladio's, Veda, as you know, that most of those plants do fairly well around here. Yeah. 
Yeah. But but you you do need to know the ins and outs and how the basics on how to grow these things, mm-hmm. because a lot of people keep them too dry. A lot of people keep them too wet. We've seen so many trying to people trying to grow house plants in these beautiful containers that have no drainage mm-hmm. holes yeah. whatsoever in them. It's impossible to grow a house plant in a pot that has no drainage. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right yeah, now. For you can't do it. Longevity, yeah, definitely. For longevity. It's uh and the thing house plants I don't what one would what would I not like? Okay. So the maidenhair fern, like I said, is probably a hard one. People tell me they can look at them and they die, yeah. you know. And it's all about the humidity. So if I'm putting that in the right position, but that would be something I probably would not give to somebody as a first time plant. Yeah, but I do love them. The fiddle leaf fig, a lot of people are worried about, but they are just putting it in low, low light. And easy and to grow. And yeah. to me, the fiddle leaf fig, which is a ficus, mm-hmm. which has a much bigger leaf, is easier, in my opinion, to grow than the old ficus, yeah. what, Benjamina, right. you know? Right, because all the ficus need as much light as possible, but they, they can really do pretty good on medium to mm-hmm. high light. But the problem is people are putting them in dark and they just won't tolerate that. Also, we let the ficus go to a dry point where sure. it just barely... It can, it can really get dry yeah, before, before you water right. it Right. So like on the moisture meter, it's at the beginning of dry. We've had it go all the way to dry a number of times and soak it. We're not soaking it where we're pouring gallons of water in there, but we're getting it totally moist. Well, and also let me say this on some of the houseplants, which the girls at work, they really know their houseplants like you do, mm-hmm. Veda. Uh, there are some that you really want to use unchlorinated water, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, whether it's water that you just set out overnight to let the uh, chlorine, kind of the gas, kind of escape the water, uh, or, you know, you can go buy, yeah. you know, unchlorinated water. But there are some of those houseplants that don't want water just out of the tap. Um, so keep that in mind. Uh, and it's easy, to, like I said, it's easy to dechlorinate the water. Just pour it in a water can and leave it alone for a day or two, and it, it just dechlorinated. Yeah. But uh, some of them, if you use chlorinated water, it could really burn that foliage on them. So mm-hmm. you you do need to know the ins and outs of the houseplants right. that you're getting. I mean, that is true about uh, the fluoride is even mm-hmm. cause can cause an issue, and uh, also, the, you know, when we're getting burned edges on the end, some people will say it's due to the, or it can be due to the salt in the synthetic fertilizers. The salt can build up on the side of the pot and the roots sure. touch that, and then it burns some of the root hairs, which then causes it to burn on the end of the leaves. But also, if you let houseplants wilt a lot, water a lot, wilt a lot, water a lot, you get edges that, that are damaged too. Well, and that's not only on houseplants, that's outdoor plants too. Yeah, you start seeing true. a burn, first thing you got to think about is moisture. Either is it staying too wet, is it staying too dry? Is it a chemical burn? Is it a fertilizer yeah. burn? There's a lot of things that can cause a burn. And the same thing with the houseplant like you're talking about, Veda. But, you know, usually... People aren't, I, you know, I haven't seen salt build up uh, me, see, on a either. pot in 20-something mm-hmm. years, you know? Yeah. We're starting to use more natural products 
And I believe, you know, some of the newer fertilizer synthetics on yeah. the market are much lower. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, has that and can that be an issue? It, it can. Yeah. Most definitely. Um, but to me, the, the salt buildup mm-hmm. uh, is just not that much of an issue when it comes to the foliage of it, really anything just starting to burn on you. Man, when we were in Central Texas, the water had more salt content and we basically could not water a lot of like the annuals and perennials house plants with the, the yeah with the water and so we dug a pond and put a pump in there and then pumped the water out amazing. of the pond yeah so can y'all imagine mm-hmm. if we were also dealing with that but luckily y'all just luckily when you're outside water and just think i've got the greatest water all right well so, we yeah well and we do have great water yeah. by the way but some of them still don't want chlorinated water, even though our water is the best in the world. Mm-hmm. When we get back, Veda, we're going to talk a little bit about fire ants. And there's a myth out there that I've got to debunk. And I guarantee you, somebody that's listening right now this morning uh-huh. has done what I'm talking about. Oh, I cannot wait. We'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back to Mid South Gardening. So we're going to talk about dead ant, dead ant, dead ant, dead ants. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to give us a call, guys, we got about thirty more minutes. Two six zero five nine two six, or you can shoot us a text on the Mighty Nine Ninety Facebook page. And of course, you want to listen to the podcast later on, uh, the Mighty Nine or KWMRadio.com, streaming all the time. Miss Fade and the podcast. A lot of people yeah. tell me come into work and tell me they listen to, mm-hmm. to the podcast and they love it. But dead ant, dead, dead ant. ant. <laughs> I want to know about the dead ants. (laughs) And fire ants, uh, of course, you know, if you live in the Mid-South, you've seen them, you've had them, you've been around them. I mean, and we don't want them. Mm -hmm. Some ants, to me, are much worse than others. Yeah, like my... my mom's aunt's much worse than others. Yeah, see, I'm talking about the little critters. That <laughs> oh, everybody, oh. You're going to get yourself in trouble. <laughs> I'm in trouble now. But fire ants are not good to have around. If you've got a big mound, unless it's a mole in your yard, but typically when you see a big mound of fine grit dirt in your lawn, uh, it's, it's a fire ant mound. And I'm bringing this up because they're really bad, of course, this time of year. Um to get rid of fire ants, I remember you used to always say you would do the Texas two-step, but to get rid of fire ants... Uh, yeah, I didn't mean I'd stand around them <laughs> and dance. That's what you do when you stood on the ant pile. Exactly. You definitely start <laughs> dancing. Right. But the Texas two-step meant it was two steps to get rid of them. Yeah. And, you know, you can get rid of fire ants either by uh, a drench, you know, that you mix insecticides like the bifenthrins, the acephates, uh, the permethrins, uh, insecticides that you just mix and drench the mound with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally like using a granulated product that they take back to the colony. And one of, one, one of the really safe products is come and get it, uh, which you know, Veda, is just nothing but it's a spinosad yeah. that's on a particular bait that attracts the ants. I think that was the first time spinosad was, was introduced to the market was through the come and get it. Come and get it. Uh, and so it's a very safe uh, organic product product that works um, but you use about four tablespoons of this product per mound and you sprinkle some of it on the mound and you actually sprinkle some around the mound going out about two feet um, 
and it's uh, I tell you what, it, it does a great job in getting rid of these these fire ants. Now it doesn't work overnight mm-hmm. like a drench is going to, but to me I think overall it does a better job than a drench. But when you said the old Texas two step, you would people would do both. Mm-hmm. They'd bait them yeah. and then come back in two or three days and drench them out. Mm-hmm. You know, in that yeah. way, they know they're getting rid of these dang right. fire ants. But one of the myths on the fire ants data was a lot of people forever and a day would even hear about or read about using uncooked grits. They'd <laughs> sprinkle the grits out there around the fire ants. And in theory, they thought the fire ants would collect them, take them back to the colony, and when they ate them, they would explode. You know? Yeah, who thought of that? I, I'm <laughs> telling you, and I've heard of people, mm-hmm. even people doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all, grits, they, they, they'll eat them, but they're not going to make them explode. So don't go out there with uncooked grits and sprinkle that around your fire ant mound. All you're doing is feeding the ants. Is okay? that the same principle as not using rice at a wedding because yep. it makes the birds explode? Yeah, but it's not going to happen, <laughs> you know. So I don't understand. Well, so, I'm glad to know that. Yeah, so don't <laughs> use the grits for fire ant control. But there are some good baits out there. There are some good drenches out there. Some people do both. But be on the lookout for fire ant mounds this time of year. Uh, I mean, this is when they're active, you know, is during the summer. That's when they're active. So, yeah, you could also do if you don't have any insecticide or or anything available, if you use about, I think it takes about two gallons of water to actually get it to go all the way down to the area where the fire ants are. So you could drench the mound with water, trying to just move them out of your location. You're you're not going to kill them or get rid of them. But if you don't have the opportunity to kill them for a while and you want your kids to play or whatever, just drown them out and have them move over. Yeah, well, you're not going to get rid of them that way. You can move them, but you're mm-hmm. not going to get rid of right, them that way. Right, right. Now let's go to Marion. Good morning, Marion. Thanks for the call. What's going on in your garden? Well, I have a good crop of blueberries, but they're very, very small. And I was wondering what I did wrong or what I could do right so that next year they will be larger. Now, we're talking about the plants are smaller or just the blueberries themselves are small? The blueberries themselves are small. And, and Marion, how long have they been in the ground, the blueberries? They've been in the ground about five or six years, I believe, about right. And um, we did fertilize them, uh, we think, uh, last fall. Mm -hmm. Um, What have they, is this the first year that they're small or are they always small? uh, This is the first year we've got this big a crop. And, uh, and, and, and small uh, they're berries. smaller than usual, and there's a lot more than usual, a lot more. Yeah, mm. I mean, I would just go back to the basics. I mean, I would definitely check the pH. You know, you want that pH, which it probably is, but you want that pH to be pretty darn acidic, um, you know, around 5, if you mm-hmm. will, um, you okay. know, 5 to 5, too. But that's the first thing you always want to do, Marion, is check the pH. And then you're talking okay. about feeding. I mean, definitely something like Hollytone. Uh, you can feed it in the fall. You can feed them in the fall, but you can also feed them again in the spring. Yeah, and I would definitely feed right now, too, as long as it's organic matter or okay. organic fertilizer. Okay, um, something like milorganite. Milorganite yeah. or, or the big bloom. Um, yeah. I wouldn't go solely. Tone. Yeah, I wouldn't use solely milorganite because that's like us just eating one type of uh, food from the food group. Okay. So, yeah, use some other things like the cow manures are great seaweeds i mean you can just change them up through the season to get your soil very fertile 
uh, to create bigger blueberries because sounds like possibly since we had so much rain so late that it put on more foliage so we were able to get more blueberries which probably took away from the production of the blueberry itself. To getting bigger, yeah. And, and also, Mary, and I know this is true for you. I'm, I know you've got more than one variety out there for I you know do. for the pollination. But, you know, just kind of going back to the basics, uh, adding the, uh, like, Veda Sands, you know, a layer of compost, you know, whether it's cow manure, uh, back-to-nature blend, which is the cotton burr with the stuff added to it, just a layer of compost right. around every one of your blueberries, making sure that pH is where it needs to be. Yeah, I'm with you, Kenneth, on that. Definitely check your pH. Just get a coffee can of soil and bring it into a garden center, independent garden center, and we can see where your pH is and get more accurate. Okay. Thank you. I really appreciate that. All right. Friday. Thank you for the call. Marion, okay. thank you, dear, and have a Enjoy great weekend. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Thank you. Uh, you know, and I hear, Marion, you know, I mean, blueberries are actually pretty easy to grow. And we grow them not really so much, even though a lot of people down in Birmingham, Veda, they grow blueberries just because they have beautiful fall color, mm. right? Yeah. Well, but most people are growing it for the blueberry. And like Marion said, she's getting an abundant number yeah. of blueberries. They're just not... Uh, you know, the size. And, you know, weather can have s- something to do with that also. Yeah, because, you know, when I get have to have to buy blueberries from farmer's market or grocery store or whatever, there's there's so many different sizes in that one package. Oh, yeah. I'll get some big ones and then some medium, just kind of normal. So they don't all have to be, I mean, just really big. Yeah, but what, it, what was like a dime size. And that's kind of large for a blueberry that I'm accustomed Absolutely. to. Absolutely, but you know you want to keep the you know the moisture out there. And I'm not saying they have to stay wet, mm-hmm. but you want to keep a constant um, uh, moisture out there. You definitely want that soil, uh, the acidic soil, to be at a certain pH. You definitely want to feed these things, uh, and you definitely need more than one variety, like she said she had. But if you're doing all that and you're still getting small berries, uh, you know it could be a moisture thing. Mm-hmm. It could be uh, a nutrient thing yeah. that's where the feeding and the How compost would help say they were planted four or five years so, so they're well established yeah so it wouldn't be like the root ball was growing around them choking them out yeah because that really doesn't do too much to blueberries yeah like and that. then you know a lot of people and there was a place what down in nesbitt mississippi is that where it was veda there was a blueberry farm down there it that people like yeah would go down there and pick their own blueberries yeah, and this is the time that. of year that they're doing it mm-hmm. um so you know, whether it's store-bought, whether you're like Marion and growing your own, which I surely recommend, or whether you're going to like one of these blueberry farms and, and plucking your own blueberries, they're doing all the work. All you do is going in there and picking them, right? <laughs> yeah, um, that's fun. Can't beat some good old blueberries. And then raspberries and blackberries are coming up. I've spotted a, a patch that I can run to and get some blackberries. Nobody's going to see me. You better watch out for those chiggers, young lady. Oh, gosh. You know, when we were growing up, and it would be, because uh, we were out in Shelby Forest, and my parents had a good amount of land with my grandparents, and so it would be me and my sisters and mm-hmm. brother, that's like six of us, and then my cousins, seven of us, and the aunts and uncles and moms and dads and granddad and grandma, and we would go out to the uh, black-eyed Black-eyed. Now she's thinking about about black-eyed peas and blackberries. Blackberries, thank you. And uh, pick blackberries all day. But can you imagine having to keep up with that many kids in a blackberry patch? (laughs) 
Man, but it was like so fun. And we were hot, definitely, but it's just delicious. So I think when I see the blackberry patch, you know how plants are memories. Yes. I'm just going to be engulfed in those memories as I am plucking the blackberries. And we've said that so many times. It's not just, uh, you know, a, a particular place. Mm-hmm. Um, plants definitely, you know, make us reminisce about yes. a certain situation. Veda, I know we got to go to a break here in just a minute, but there's another distillium. You know, we're always talking about these new er plants that come <laughs> out on the market uh, that will kind of replace maybe another plant that we've been on the market for a long time. But there's one that I want to tell you about, uh, you know, and it seems like this is, well, I'm just going to wait. Yeah. Okay. And I got one for you, too. Okay, y'all. Just hang on. Learn about the plants after this break. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad we can join you today. And we're going to give you a little bit of information about a couple shrubs we're liking. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a shrub out there called Distillium, that as you know. It's um, it's in the witch hazel family. They haven't been around forever, but it's a great alternative to some of the other shrubs that we used to plant and try to grow, like, for example, autolucan laurel, mm. okay? We all Don't know, want to do that again. Well, and, and I love autolucans mm-hmm. when they're healthy. Yeah. Which is kind of hard to keep them that yeah. way. Yeah. So a lot of people know that if they stay too wet, they're dead in a heartbeat. They get shot hole disease. I mean, there's some th- reasons why we wouldn't plant that that particular shrub. Well, this new distillium to me is, uh, this one's called Swing Low, mm, okay? Nice. And there's, there's you know, Linebacker and Coppertone and Venice Jade and Blue Cascade. And there's, there, it's like Lower Pedlums when they first came out. Yeah. They're coming out with a lot of different varieties of this uh, shrub called distillium. But this one called Swing Low, it only gets two to three foot tall. Love which is it, love great, it. Yeah. you know, if you're looking for a smaller evergreen shrub, easy to grow, can take all the sun you want to give it, extremely heat and drought tolerant, extremely cold tolerant. Um, so Swing Low is just another one of these bluish green leaved uh, distilliums that are on the market. But I'm just saying, <laughs> it's one of those things where they did their they are easy to grow shrubs. They are. I agree. They're, and, they're very tolerant of abuse. And I, in fact, I saw some in front of a restaurant mm-hmm. uh, the other day. Uh, and, you know, you've got the restaurant and then you've got the sidewalk and then you've got the parking lot. I mean, it's a very hostile place to grow anything. Them things were just as happy as the day was long, mm-hmm. I'm telling you. So if you're looking for um, some of these evergreen shrubs, you know, that... <laughs> Maybe to replace the Indian hawthorns that yeah. didn't make it through the winter, you know, right. uh, or some of the autolucan laurels that are just impossible to grow sometimes because of the lack of drainage. And what's really cool about those is there's really no need for hedging. No. And, or, or major pruning. You can prune them, but yeah. you typically don't have and, to. Yeah, and I'll, it would just really mess up the look. Although people hedge azaleas, it messes up the look. Well, anything that's hedged almost messes up the look. Except for boxwood, you're just kind of used to seeing that yeah. way. But the distillium, the one that gets tall, even though it's tall, it's not huge and rangy. You know, it's still kept into it. So. A lot of different varieties of distillium. That's but, a but, good but this one, one um, you know, the Blue Cascade, I really like. Uh, the Swing Low, I really like. I like the size of them. They don't get that big. And I like the the, the smaller leaf mm-hmm. on them. I mean, it's just a neat looking plant. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's easy to grow plant. 
So I like this week every plant there is. But the Fothigaria, Fothigaria, Fothigaria. See, I can never say it. Yeah, it's a native here. And I love it because it has a white blooms in the spring, but it kind of looks like a bottle brush bloom, Mm -hmm. actually. So Mm -hmm. it has, it's covered with white blooms in the spring. Then in the summer, it has really nice textured, different shaped foliage. Mm -hmm. And so it gives it a, a very distinct look amongst your other evergreens Mm -hmm. because of the foliage. And sometimes it can look a little blue to it. Fall color, like you had said earlier, fall color is fantastic. And that's the reason a lot of people grow that shrub Mm -hmm. is when they put it in the ground, a lot of people are thinking fall color, Mm -hmm. Veda. Now, it is deciduous. It it drops its leaves. But but then its its stems are, they're structured, which Mm -hmm. makes it prettier. And so if you had the blueberries, that would be some killer fall color. Fothigaria, great fall color. And those are two plants that are easy to take care of. Now, the Fothigaria is going to want more uh, more shade than sun. Yeah, well, the blueberries th- need it, you know, at least, they need more sun than shade. Yeah, so that way you can get some more fall color. Because if you look in your backyard and it's all evergreen, you know, you wouldn't you like to have some spots of fall color around? It just changes your feel. Beautiful, beautiful fall color on that shrub. But I tell you, it, it just kind of freaked me out when I was, I, was telling you, I was down in Birmingham a couple of years ago. And I noticed that all the blueberries that were in people's landscapes. And there again, I mean, yeah, people love the blueberries. That's, mm-hmm. that's a bonus. But they were putting them in there uh, for fall color. And that just blew me away that... Why not? I mean, it's a shrub. Yeah, see, I'm with you. It's just a shrub that happens to have little blueberries on it. We don't have to think of it as just a garden-type yeah, plant. Just we can edible. use it as a landscape plant. Yeah, and they look beautiful. There's no reason not to. No reason. Why would you not put a blueberry in? Think about it. It's edible. It's fall color. It's lush and green, you know, in the summer. But one thing I wanted to throw at y'all really quick is, uh, you know, this is fountain time. People are buying fountains. And uh, we do fountain installations, but people come in and and need new pumps. Or one of the things that happens a lot is you get algae, whether you have a water garden or you have a fountain. Now, algae that builds on the wall of the... That that makes the water green. Okay, just green water. Because like in a water garden, you want that algae on the wall. In a fountain, you don't want that algae on it. So there is like products you can use, fountain tech, uh, you can clean and all of that. But if you're also thinking of purchasing a fountain and having it installed, right? These are some things that um, we ask to figure out, you know, actually how to get it there. Because a lot of people think you can buy a fountain and just carry the pieces up, put it in your yard, and you're you're done. That's, that's what I would just think. plug it in. Yeah. But, but you know, we got to know: do we have to carry this up a hill? Oh, yeah. Do we have to carry it over a <laughs> wall? Do we, we went out, you couldn't price, some of them you can't price. We went out and found out we needed a crane to get it over the building. Wow. You know, because you just can't, these, these are concrete that yeah. weigh thousands not, you're just gonna, of pounds. Some of them do. You're not going to just go out there and pick it up. Right, yeah. And, or like we've had to take them and turn them on their side and roll them, you know, put plywood and burlap down and roll the big basin through the mm. gate where it was so skinny. So if y'all are going to get a fountain and put a fountain in, think about that. Mm. Where's your electricity go? Somebody put installed the plug that you the the electricity box yeah. in the concrete pad underneath 
No. Where the fountain goes. No, that's not going to work. I mean, how do you plug it in in the first place? And then, so, you know, think about where your electricity is going to go. And it can come in pieces. But, I mean, one piece sometimes weighs 700 pounds. Well, you got to have the, I guess, the electricity for the pump yeah. to circulate the water. Right. And, and then, then, yeah. And then you're saying, Beta, that algae is is going to if you've got water and heat you're going to have algae right, right right even running moving water yeah so don't think that there's something wrong with the fountain because it's growing algae it's the sun that causes it so there's fountain tech you can do that also we've had uh people call because the fountain's draining really fast evaporation or the or, wind's blowing yes you know when we had all those tremendous yep. winds for days and days yep. Well, no matter what, you have to fill your fountain up you, more than one time a year, <laughs> you know, depending <laughs> on size. Some people actually get the floats, you know, like you would sort of use in the toilet bowl. It's in a the, fountain, so when the water gets low, it automatically it adds water on, to yeah. it. Or they hook it to their irrigation, and they'll put a, a hose, a little hose into the pond, so it will fill up that now, way. Now, the, the big fountains, Beta, is it... Is that more residential or is that more commercial? Man, we get or a lot both. of big for residential. Really? Yeah, so yeah. those big fountains, a lot of people like them in their landscape also. Right, yeah, because we had to get a huge, um, I guess it was a forklift that the the forks can... Go up under move, the... Yeah, and then move out. It can, like, take them 15 feet. But like, I guess it's all to scale. I mean, if you've got a big, big area... You want and a big, big You can fountain. have a big fountain, but if you've got, you know, a small little gazebo and you wanted... Yeah. I mean, you could you would need a, a smaller mm-hmm. fountain, but yeah, like you said, it's 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 the sound of that running water. That's it, so great, and a lot of people, even the little ones, you can pretty much do. But so you've got fountain plugs that you've got to put in there, and then you've got to put the putty in there, oh, and yeah. then it's got to be perfectly level, and you yeah. need to make sure, sh- you know. So that I want y'all to get the water features because they're so wonderful, and little water gardens and all of that. But so, there are some little nuances that you need to know, yeah. you know, or. Because it's not hard if you set it up right the first time. And of course, like anything. Yeah, go to your local garden centers. I mean, you'll find great sales this time of year. You still find a lot of good green material, even blooming material. Of course, everything you need for your insects and diseases, but support the local garden centers for sure. And we'll see you next weekend in the Mid South Garden.